Welcome to Let's, Let's talk, talk About, about gay, gay Stuff. Woo! We're going to talk about gay stuff. We're the podcast where we talk about gay stuff and discuss the week in LGBT history. Mm-hmm. We are Thomas. Tony. Kendall, the youngest, Candle. sweetest. And we Candle, remembered like the our e-reader. Candle. <laughs> I just want to start off and saying my voice is a little uh, froggy. It is uh, non-corona related because I know that's uh, we're on the we're on the early days of whatever this crisis is, and we're all going to be okay. So, um, rest assured, we're okay. Hope you guys are okay. No, as the well. pollen count. I told you it's like a thousand. Times oh my gosh, the, the pollen count is which is a scary thing in Houston because yeah. the tree I, pollen count it should be thirty. It's thirty six hundred. It's the highest in the U.S. by like t- times three. <laughs> than any other city. It's insane. I saw your Facebook post about it. <laughs> oh, did you post on Facebook about it? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, my neighbor told me about it. We're Facebook friends? Wait, what? No, just kidding. Uh, all right. Locked in. This week we're reviewing the week of March 29th through April 4th, and we'll discuss uh, Marlon Brando, Harvey Milk High School, and my true icon. We talked about J-Lo, but this is my true icon, Selena. Selena's. Anything for Selena's. All right, before we get started, a a quick word from our sponsor. A recent Gallup poll shows that Americans have reported feeling stress, worry, and anger at the highest levels in over a decade. And while we are growing more and more aware of the effects of stress on our bodies and minds, we may not have considered the effects that our stress can have on our pets. According to a 2019 study, there is a synchronization between stress hormones in humans and their dogs. You're a dog parent. You probably know that your pup is very good at reading your body language. It can quickly pick up how you're feeling. We've always, we're always working to reduce our stress in any way we can. But what about the anxiety we may have passed on to our dogs? Baked Bones has a solution. CBD has been shown to help reduce stress and anxiety in both humans and dogs. And Baked Bones has your dog covered. Made from organic human-grade, ingredi- human-grade ingredients and full-spectrum hemp oil, their bones may offer some relief to your anxious pup. Check out BakedBones.com and... For more information on CBD for dogs and the other benefits it may provide, Baked Bones offers free shipping on all orders over $25, and you can save 10% now through April 15th with promo code GAYSTUFF. That's G-A-Y-S-T-U-F-F-1-0. Baked Bones is an LGBTQ-owned and operated business and is based in Houston, Texas. Baked Bones proudly donates 10% of all of its profits to no-kill shelters in the U.S. Baked Bones. Go visit them. We love the baked bones. The baked bones are uh, they are a helpful product, at least to to our pup population. So that's the ones in in our our podcast crew. So they've been helpful. No, it's amazing. Yeah, like I give it to Chocolate, uh, my dog. Uh, works. I can totally tell the difference. And I mean, I don't know. They go the extra mile with their packaging and everything. Yeah, they're very yeah. thoughtful. Yeah. It's a small business. We like to support small businesses. They're LGBTQ owned, so yep. yeah, you know, uh, we highly recommend. Nice highly packages, you support said. Big bones. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you follow them on Instagram, I think. So. But anyways, uh, yeah. So speaking of uh, packages, Tony, uh, last we heard when you we haven't caught up really since you're you haven't given at least on the show you haven't uh, talked about your Montana trip a few weeks ago. Tell us about what happened in. Why did you go to the so BM? So in my to escape uh, small hometown, St. Patrick's Day is like a huge holiday. So uh, a lot of people come in from out of town, everything. Um, so my, I had some family that all we all just met back for St. Patrick's Day, which um, normally like the whole town shuts down at like they close off all the streets, you know, like kids get out of school and everything. It's pre-virus. Um, yeah. And so this year, you know, the day before, so St. Patrick's Day was on a Tuesday. So 
Monday afternoon, the you know city was like, okay, coronavirus, we're shutting all restaurants and bars and stuff like that. But um, it was really good. You know, still got to spend some time with family and everything, which was awesome. Um, one thing, you know, I sent, I was sent you guys. So, you know, I think a lot of our listeners are probably from like big cities, you know, whatever. And so, you know, you turn on Grinder in. Houston, there's like, I mean, everybody's like 50 feet away, 200 feet away, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so there's well, just... Well, now it's six feet away. <laughs> minimum. <laughs> so, but it's like, uh, you know, it, if you don't pay for grinder, the maximum you see is like a mile away or something. You know, it's like there's just so many people. So in Butte, you know, you turn it on and there's like, I don't know, five, maybe 10 people within like five or six miles. And then... You know, guy number 10 is like 62 miles away or whatever. And so it's like, you know, you're really limited. Um, so get on Grinder. This guy's like, hey, how's it going? I was like, good. How are you? He's like, good. Are you in Butte? And I'm like, yeah, I'm visiting family. He's like, looking, I can host, question mark. And then like five minutes later, he's like, do you got any pain meds? <laughs> nice. So like Montana was like back in the day when meth first became a thing. It was rampant, and so we were one of the first states to get it, and really, like everybody in the state, do it. And so, it's like we kind of like what a claim to fame. It was, so we kind of designed in. like this is how you combat meth, you know? Um, yeah. So I just thought that was funny that it's like his fourth text. All I said was like, "Hey," and then like, "Yeah, visiting family here," and he's like, "Blah blah blah." Got any pain meds? Didn't want to know what you did for a living. Didn't want to no pain meds. No, yeah, nice. Wasn't looking for sex. Did just you? pain meds. No. Did you have any? No. Do it's beautiful. I feel there's like, yeah. <laughs> That's a small town thing. I, I, uh, when, um, I was, I was visiting Martha when I got stuck in Hurricane Harvey. And so we went out there, but Martha and I have this thing where we, even before, well, even when, while you and I were dating Cadilly, she would get on, she would download Grinder onto her phone and we would sit at the Chili's bar and just open it up just to see because we were mesmerized by the, at the time like who is like this was a, such a unique phenomenon like people would just get on this app and mm -hmm. like hook and then I and found Grinder on your phone and you're like it's Martha no <laughs> but we we no, not true not true we uh but we would sit at the bar and just kind of amuse ourselves because you were always it was still in this awkward phase of like are they gay are they not gay are they gay are they not gay so we would uh we would just we would open it up and so we would just look and so we did i did have it on my phone at this time i went to go visit her when she remember when she lived way out in maryland that her and justina mm, yeah and so it was the same thing it was like you opened grinder up and it was just like no one, not not. I wouldn't try to hook up while I was at Martha's yeah. house, but it was just like, what is that, what what kind of yeah. talent is out here? And yeah, there was like 50, 60 and miles it's kind of talent opportunities. It is kind yeah. of crazy. So when I fly home, I have to land in Bozeman, which is an hour away from where I'm from, and so I basically like land, psh, uh, drive over to Butte, and so um, almost everybody that's ever messaged me up there, they always live in Bozeman. They're usually like kind of cute. I'm like. Uh, is that, is that where the college is? Uh, there's a college. There's also like oh, within the 30 minutes is the entrance to Yellowstone Park. There's also like within 30 minutes is uh, Big Sky Ski Resort. So why don't you like plan to stay in Bozeman for an hour or two? Yeah. I should. You <laughs> know. Does Butte have a gay bar? We used to back in the day. However, it was like. Put it in my Butte. What was the name it, of it? The it, mining, well, what it was, was basically. Wait, what would be some good mining town company? Because Montana was mining the Silver town. Dollar Saloon. The Silver Dollar. Oh. That's not a very good no. one. It was like it was a bar. And so what the, made it a gay bar? Well, spike. okay. So 
the golden dunk. When I was growing up, for years there was no gay bar, and then um, the there was the Silver Dollar <laughs> Saloon, which basically these two gay guys just bought the bar, and so every Friday and Saturday they were really known for having live music, one of the only places in town. So it was pretty much a lot of people would go there. But then during the week, it was a place where like. If you were gay and went in there, you weren't discriminated against. Mm-hmm. Whereas it wasn't really a gay bar. It's like like a lot of gay bars in Butte. Like you walk in, they're like, "Get the fuck out of here." Uh-huh. I mean, they're not gonna say "Get the fuck out of here." Well, first but thing to say, you you're got, gonna feel like I don't pills. need to be in here. You got got pills. any pills? Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but then there was this really old hotel called the Skookum, and they had a bar, and the bar was called Snookums, and that was the gay bar in Butte for a while. Snookums. I love that. Snookums. Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah. Snookums. That sounds more like a gay bar name. Like yeah. uh, but of course, they had to tear the hotel down and put something else uh, up. So. I was thinking like Twin Peaks. Wait, no, that's a straight bar. I was it thinking is, for yeah. the lesbian bar. Yeah. It's not a lesbian bar. It's a. It's like a no. Hooters. Here, it's a... And everywhere else, it's like a Hooters. But yeah, in Montana, it's a, it's a lesbian bar. Snookums. <laughs> Just kidding. Snookums. Uh, in gay news, I, I was... I think I, I shared it with you guys previously, but I was wondering your thoughts. Like, I, I was... You <laughs> I know. I was scrolling through uh, uh, Twitter and uh, saw a. I don't even. It's not even in the works, but I just was interesting kind of thing to think about. Adam Lambert was. They were asked. I don't know. He was doing an interview and they were talking about George Michael. He's like, oh, it would be cool to do a biopic about. <laughs> I, I paused because I first time I saw that I said biopic. For years, you argued that it was pronounced biopic biopic about uh, George Michael and he's like oh yeah I think you know we don't know really George Michael's story other than you know he used to be a heartthrob and then got caught yeah. doing sex in, uh, in a bathroom in, in the UK uh, no he didn't get caught he was soliciting I guess anyways Adam Lambert's like and I'd play him like because they asked him like, yeah. who, who would he's like I'd sign up for that so what do you think about that oh, I think it one, would be a, a biopic about George Michael and two Adam Lambert playing so um, I think it would be a good story to be told because I do um I watched a documentary on George Michael and apparently, you know, cause he was like a teenage heartthrob and like all the girls would throw uh, themselves at him when he was in wham. And then I think he was, you know, probably internally dealing with a lot of this and he, you know, he got into drugs because it was like, you know, I feel like a lot of musicians you're under so much pressure. Um, but I think he was, he was somewhere in South America, I think Brazil or something. And he did a concert and he met a guy down there and that's what kind of like, I think he was with that guy for a long time. Um, but I think that's kind of what made him really come out. Um, but anyways, I don't really know. Did that. he come out though or did he get caught? Well, he probably got caught, but I mean, yeah. I, I guess that's what made him go to more of like living the gay lifestyle versus I think he had urges and that's what made him like, uh, what's well, sad because he was, looking for sex in a public restroom and he probably never would have done that had he felt it okay yeah i mean look at how good looking he was and stuff he didn't have to ha- like look Remember for that sex in public yeah. that, that's where you had sex though that's where i mean it was a yeah. it was a different time that's where you found people in bathrooms and things like and it kind of makes you wonder he also too. said though in an interview later that he got off on the potentially getting caught like a lot of the, that was his fetish the thrill was i might get caught okay yeah I mean, one thing too, like, and, and you never know what's gonna happen. Like, there's a, there's this thrill of like, well, who's gonna be this person that you remember you're the gonna, senator yeah. from Idaho? Yeah. Larry like, who's gonna be on, who will yeah. I meet? Who will I meet up? So, yeah, well, yeah. 
He's got a, a an interesting story. I mean, yeah, and know. the thing is, I, I don't can see him playing him. Like, I know he was under a lot of pressure from a young age in the music industry, and he, you know, did do drugs to kind of like maintain. Um, is he from Butte? He is from Butte. Uh, but also, you know, the internal struggle of being gay, like, it's very stressful, right? Before you can come out and stuff. Um, and so he died of a heart attack at a young age. It was like 50 or something. Mm. And so. It makes you wonder, was part of that, like, the stress of being gay and, like, I can't come out because, you know, like, everybody has their issues as far as, like, family and friends. But then it's also like, oh, my God, I'm this music superstar and I could lose everything, um, you know, if I come out or whatever. Yeah. So It's funny that you say 50s old. I mean, if you talk to the uh, – or young, because <laughs> if you talk to the uh, host of our Spoopy <laughs> podcast, uh, Spencer Chris would be like, 50. I think they one of their podcast episodes, they're like, they're 40, they could die. So, I mean, they could afford to die. Meanwhile, Spencer's boyfriend's 40, but that's fine. We're okay with that. <laughs> but uh, age Retirees. is relative. Yeah. I'm like, Bitch, that's right around the corner for me. Yeah, I know. We're on the, we can, yeah, we're on the countdown to 50. Well, I don't even want to Ready talk Ready for it. Social Security. Here I come. Anything's <laughs> <laughs> left. Uh, but no, I think, so Adam Lambert pay, playing uh, um, George Michael. What do you think about that? I like it. If there's anyone Adam Lambert could play, it'd be George Michael. You think? Yeah. I don't know. Is there anyone else? I feel like it would be over the top, but... Do you think it's because of his musical talent or because... I don't even think they're the same. looks similar to me. I feel like... Oh, you do? He could sing like him. I feel like he's as flamboyant. But but uh, Adam, Lambert, Adam Lambert's flamboyant in a Get them juicy. I don't think um, George way. Michael was that flamboyant. He was, but it was in a masculine. Yeah, like, exactly. Way. It wasn't yeah, like yeah. a. I mean, like I feel like you could tell he was in like his older Mary. years. You could tell he was gay, but he wasn't flam like. And here, here's the thing on my. I mean, and Kendall, I think he's saying this somewhat because he knows my feelings. Well, I think he know knew my early feelings on Adam Lambert, which. I was a, when Adam Lambert was on American Idol, he was going against Chris Allen, who I I was like, woof, and so uh, he was he was a cutie, uh, but Adam Lambert he was over the top and just a lot for me. Whereas okay, I liked yeah. the guy who was playing the guitar. But since then, I have like grown, and I actually I've grown to appreciate Adam Lambert's talent, what he's doing. I think yeah, he's, he's a great really singer. Talented. Um, and I think he's attractive. Like he's 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 actually mm. he's aged. I mean, he's not even old. He's younger than I am. Okay, so, yeah. So how but, old is he? Like thirties? Uh, yeah, in yeah. his late thirties. But when he was on Idol, he was kind of uh, he was young. I think he was acne okay, yeah. sort of stuff that he was. Wearing. I mean, yeah. his hair. But he's 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 a he looks man. He still kind of looked like a old boy, I guess, on okay, American yeah. Idol. Now he looks like a man, and I'm like, this okay, is a sexy so maybe man. he could play. And he's and he's got an amazing voice. I mean, like, I told no, you I had Chris Allen on a flight when I was a flight attendant. Really? Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, and he was at the very back of the plane, and he had a middle seat. Were you like, no one recognized him, and I thought that was sad. But the saddest part was he had a big booger in his nose, and no one had the heart to tell him. And it Wait, so was he? Um, my this is before or after <laughs> American Idol. Fantasies of it. When this you, is when after. This would have been 2015. Oh. So how many? Oh, so years after. Oh yeah, this was like okay six years after. Okay, yeah, but nobody recognized him. He was super sweet though. You know, Spencer. Was cute. Spencer's on his way to uh, being a flight attendant, and uh, at least that's kind of the, the the trajectory, right? And he says his favorite thing about wanting to be a, a flight attendant is being able to go down the aisles and just yell at people, trash, 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 trash. No, I wasn't asking. I was saying it. <laughs> uh, oh, I have all those flight attendant jokes. <laughs> That's a jo- I thought that was a real thing. Just kidding. <laughs> oh no, they all do that. Trash. 
<laughs> Anyways, so yeah, so I, I mean, I would, I would, I guess I would see that. I would see, I'd go see Adam Lambert play George Michael. It would be an interesting story, and I think it would, if he could pull it off, that would be that, that would be a big thing for but him. But I don't know what the story would be. We have, it would have to be a pretty dark. Like, what do we not know about George Michael that would make yeah. it so interesting that we would want to? It would have to be like two hours of that him in that public restrooms. <laughs> I mean, there might be that on porn like demons he had that we don't know, or you know, I don't know. I mean, you he can talk have about a tumultuous that. love life. Who I, knows? I mean, he and I mean, the original carpool karaoke was uh, James Corden and, and George Michael. What? So you could talk about that. Well, in the original or the uh, Elton John movie Rocket Man, a lot of that was about his tumultuous love affair and how that guy like used him. Yeah, and I mean, so they didn't talk about uh, his dad for his butthole. They didn't talk about Elton John's death. Elton John's not dead. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> his birthday's coming at up. At time of broadcast. Uh, Kenny Rogers. Well, his birthday passed, I guess, at this point. So, yeah. Oh, Kenny Rogers. Yeah. Mm. Kenny Rogers is dead. He knows when to fold him. <laughs> you know, we they didn't have any more face to snatch back. We got, I know, my God, I know. Bless his heart. We didn't get any news on that because everything was surrounded I know, by Corona. Oh, yeah. So, I do feel bad. One thing I feel bad about Kenny Rogers is... Um, I remember, I think he just ret- and he just retired like two years ago, and I remember him saying he's like you know because I think he has some young kids like he has some kids from years ago but he has some younger kids, and um and I mean naturally if you're Kenny Rogers it's hard to take a step back right like if you're that famous yeah but, but you got to know when to hold them and know right. when to fold them and right? so in 2018 when he retired he goes yeah I just I want to spend more time with my kids and just kind of like, uh, you know. B- have more family time and then poor bastard like two years later he passes away i'm like oh mm. so um yeah anything else i mean um <laughs> you're, you're just like, like mm, <laughs> let's <laughs> move on well i just i mean i don't know what, what else to say about yeah. Kenny. Like, Kenny Rogers. <laughs> that's that <laughs> wait do y'all remember him. mad tv the guy that always did the kenny rogers skits where no he was like morbidly obese and this sounds very sad that i'm wait kenny rogers up. was never obese but the guy was yeah the guy was always like well, fuck that guy. Nasty Kenny Rogers gravy was gravy in his beard. And Ew. Poor Kenny Rogers. But that was 30 years ago, so we can talk about it now. It was Islands in the Stream. That's mm-hmm. he, and, uh, he and Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was all upset about it. She did a little, like, uh, Instagram video she and everything. Stunning. Oh, did she? I didn't. I didn't yeah, she, she was like, like, she was crying the day he died. Oh, she that's like, sad. I she wore her morning wig. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Like the her yeah. black morning wig. M-O-R. M-O-U-R-N. Uh so it was uh, uh, Tony. You were telling us before the uh, the podcast started about a singer that you knew or that you know. Yeah, so a musician. So I guess um, you know. Uh, so before the podcast, we we're just catching up on, uh, and I mean, even like George Michael, you know, being afraid to come out maybe and losing his. Um, so one of my friends back home, he uh, is a musician. He does a lot of electronic dance music and stuff. He's been pretty successful. He's released a couple of albums in. Um, Europe and things like that. And so he apparently got a... He also has decided that um, he wants to transition. And he's been kind of, you know, um, waffling back and forth, I think, the last couple of years, you know, coming to grips with himself and, like, how far do I want to go with this? And so, you know, he's decided that he really wants to fully transition. And um, anyways, he had this uh, contract and he was, you know writing this music and everything and um, pretty substantial uh, sums of money if this 
thing was successful. And then when the record company found out that he was transitioning, they pretty much dropped him because they were like, well, we're, you know, like our contract is with you and not, you know, your persona that you want to be. And it's like, mm. That's him. That's and the music. She, let's yeah, that's she. her. Yeah, yeah and so Which the music is, is I mean, the music is the same, right? It's her voice. And it's like, um, and I would say, like, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. Um, when I listen to her music, it's very, a lot of it is her story, you know? And it like, w- whether it's growing up or, like, pain she had with friends or, like, you know, losing a family member. Because I think her brother died when he was very young. Um and so a lot of that, it, it's EDM, but it's also like, you know, there's a lot of words to it and stuff. So anyways, it's just very, the the beat is good and makes you feel good, but then listening to it. And so it just, I don't, it's kind of sad that that was the trigger point of losing a contract, right? I want to know, like, uh, uh, what, like, the music, or I want to know who this is. Like, I don't, I mean. I want to listen now. I'm intrigued because oh, I yeah. like a. Do you want to say her name? Is what he's asking. Well, no, I'm not saying you have to say it, but it, offline or whatever. Like, hear the. I would love to hear the music. I have some I love CDs. CDs. <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Oh. She gave me some CDs last time I was home. I was like, who well, listens to, to CDs? I gotta go, go find to the a vintage. CD player. But you can get, get on Amazon CD Music, I think, Walkman. too. Yeah. All right. Cool. Mm. Well, that's too bad. Uh, it's not cool that she's uh, she's getting. Uh, discriminated against like that because, I know it's I mean, okay. that's it's 2020 mm-hmm. and it's it's EDM that's popular in Europe well, and her, like, my god and her music's the same regardless of I mean it's the same person I don't know yeah and I feel like if most people don't know what a DJ looks like anyway yeah and like I the well and also like playing. if you're and and I mean she's done a couple of things where she went over and perform or went to places and performed but not really it's really like she writes this and releases it and they just play it you know, like DJs play it it's not like well think about some of these acts though that don't have like these EDM acts that don't have any uh, that they hide behind masks and everything so Dead Mouse yeah. Dead Mouse uh, was uh, Gnarls Barkley like those that's are, what I call yeah. my butthole now Dead Mouse <laughs> Because you have a dead mouse. I remember the gerbil in the eighties. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's been there ever since. Oh, well, Kendall, that's a Poor nice, gerbil. nice transition. Trans- transition to slang bang. Slang bang. What's your slang bang? <laughs> slang bang. Gerbil. Have y'all ever heard of? Because we use this when I was a young baby gay all the time. Fruit Loop. Is that just being a gay person? Yeah. No. You taught me that one. If you do the Fruit Loop. But so you see your friends at the bar and say, hey, girl, I'm going to see you. I'm going to do a Fruit Loop. Just means you're going to do a full walk around the bar to see the merchandise. Oh, that's okay. out there. Look at a few fruit baskets. Okay. Um, <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm so sad that term is dead because we used to use it all the time. That is a good term. Yeah. And a Fruit Loop could also be like if you're in a city big enough that has a gay a gayborhood. It'd be oh, the do Fruit Loop. You're going to do the, the full yeah, like bar loop crawl of the, bars, yeah. the gay bars. It's a Fruit Loop, a lady lap. Brought so back in my day, you know, we're like years older than you. Like we used to be like, uh, like clueless. Let me let, let's do a lap before we commit to a location. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but this one was with purpose. You were, actually, it's funny. The you Fruit say Loop. That the intention of the Fruit Loop was to walk around and see. Or is there any trade yeah. here? Is anything? It's good funny because I mean, at JRs, stay, every single time, home. like back in the day, I would go to JRs. The first thing you do, you'd walk in, get a drink, and then you do the whole loop of the bar. Like, where do we want to That's when I was busy. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But it is, it's made now for it's loop, closed. right? Yeah. That's because of coronavirus. <laughs> fruit loop. Fruit loop. Yeah, did you know that? Did, did, did you you ever heard that? Loop. Oh, you, you only knew you, that because I told you. you. Told me, told I'd me never that. heard fruit loop. I, like, if you would have said, like, fruit loop as a gay term, I'd think, oh, it's like somebody who's queenie or something. But Thank you. 
Let's bring back these. I, I think Thomas. I like when you say Fruit Loop, I you think, think oh, Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of fruits, Flamboyance. the Queen Mother. How about tomatoes? Uh, Which is a fruit. There's a new color in pasta sauce aisle, and it is yellow. The Sunshine Tomato Company makes delicious all-natural pasta sauce made exclusively with yellow tomatoes. That's right, yellow tomatoes. These golden beauties are lower in acidity than their red cousins, making them a heartburn-free alternative. No sugar added, gluten-free, and heartburn-free, which, hey, I'm down with the heartburn-free because ever since I turned 30, like, boom. Martha was like, you're going to need these. She gave me them for my birthday, and she was right. Anyways, uh, you can check out Sunshine Tomato Company products on their website at www.sunshinetomatocompany.com and be on the lookout for them in your grocery store near you. And hey, for you online shoppers, if you use the promo code SUN2020, that's S-U-N-2020, you'll get 20% off your online purchase through April the 30th. That's sunshinetomatocompany.com. Oh, I'm all first. Huh. <laughs> uh, you want to talk what about are you talking about? Your favorite topic ever that you've been waiting so for. Selling. Thomas has had a couple margaritas because we're quarantining because coronavirus, and so we had to get takeout margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> the once, the only time we would ever drink margaritas before a podcast. Yeah, yes. we never do that normally. Just kidding. Uh, so, March 31st, because we're talking about the week of uh, uh, March 29th through April the 4th, and uh, I'm talking about March 31st. Okay, so wait, are you ready for this? This is your idol. This is your so we, this is you your know, Oprah. We, were we have tissue right standing by. You know, you guys are joking, but I was. Uh, oh no, I'm not. I was doing rec- uh, research a couple days because we were supposed to record a couple days ago, right? And uh, were you tearing up? Yeah, totally. I was like, <laughs> just telling Spence, I'm like, I don't think I can do this. Like, I want to tear up and cry. Like, so it, when did you um, first? Uh, like get into Selena. How young were you? I was probably about eight. And okay. So when and oh so, really that long? Yeah. So I mean, I knew her. I remember. Um, I went to my my grandmother up until like probably like five six years ago. She was going to these outdoor festivals. There'd be a bunch of Tejano artists. Uh, so we're talking about Selena Quintanilla Perez, not uh, not uh, not Selena Gomez. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> that shows my age. I yeah. forgot about Gomez. So, um, well, she's crying somewhere too, crying <laughs> because Justin Bieber dumped her twice. Still, uh, but so my grandmother would go to these outdoor festivals that would happen all the time. These big artists of Tejano music would be out there, and we went to one time in Pasadena, Texas, so a suburb outside of Houston, and it was in the summer. And uh, Selena used to be notorious for like bringing people. And if you've watched the movie, like there, she would bring kids on stage. And so the fans would come on stage, mo- mostly kids. And so my grandmother kept saying, go up there, go up there, go up there. And I was like, oh, and she's what, good. a teenager at that time? Uh, oh, you yeah. saw her live? Yeah, I saw her live. And uh, I mean, I was like, I'm going to go. And then I, I chickened out and didn't go. And I'm like, if I would have gone up there, I could have like been on stage and she well, would yeah. dance with you and she'd give you a kiss on the cheek or whatever. And uh, yeah, uh, I remember that. And I was like, so she had the it. And you never did go. Oh, she did. No, I and I never saw her again other than live. Uh, But I would see her on TV all the time. And so when she died, so back in 1995 on March 31st, it was a like huge blow. I remember what happened. Like I remember being told by the girl I dated in uh, in middle school. So we're in high school. It's my freshman year in high school. I remember being, I'm, I'm, as I'm telling you guys this, like I remember the hallway, the the dim lighting in the high school, in high school, uh, I was near my locker and she's like, oh, someone, I guess I got to tell you. And I was like, what? She's like, your girl died. And I'm like, who? She's like, Selena died. And I was like, on a side note, my sister's best friend's name Selena. So I, 
immediately I was like, oh my gosh. And then she was like, Selena Quintanilla. And no offense to Selena, she's listening. But uh, I was like, thank God. <laughs> well, it wasn't a thank God, but I was like, I'm glad she's okay. But I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's, it's, it's like Selena, Selena, like, yeah. you know, the singer, like who we've all known. And, um, and so I mean, like I said, I was relieved that it wasn't my sister's friend, but as like, she was telling me it was Selena, Selena Quintanilla. I was like, oh my gosh, like it was such a huge thing, like to know that she got murdered and she died and she was just, I mean, she was 23 when she died and it was such a, a big deal for that community being Latins in Texas, especially of Mexican American. San Antonio was like the epicenter of grief. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, where was she from? San Antonio. San, no, she was from Corpus, Corpus Christi. Christi. She okay. Grew, she grew up in Lake Jackson, so which is just outside of Houston. Yep. Um, and uh, her her father had uh, lost his well, wanted to start a business, so he started a restaurant, and uh, and from there, uh, they like just in a short time. They, they, well, during that time, they started a band, a family band. Which, in retrospect, as I think about like watching the interviews and why you still get sad, is because <clears throat> when they're interviewing the family, like about who who are also the band members, like it's a different experience than like listening to interviews about Queen mm-hmm. or um, uh, I'm trying to think of other like the Eagles, where you lose a band member. I mean, they're fam- they're family yeah. in a sense, but not blood family, right? Because um, after they go on tour, they all would all go back to their their homes, right? But the Quintanilla family. Like they lived next door to each other, so they would go on tour and they'd still yeah. hang out, and they still had that that family bond. Sure, there were tensions about being on tour all the time, but they they were a family. So when she died, it was a huge thing for this community, and most people, I mean, and when she died, it made national news, which was a big deal for people. Like, oh, I mean, we they we knew oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We Madonna were, of Tejano. Yeah, we were intimately familiar with Selena, so to hear Diane Sawyer talk about her or. Peter Jennings or whoever yeah. was on the news, like, I mean, she was making the the five six o'clock news, not just in San Antonio. Right. Which, yeah. by the way, when she died, the San Antonio news—that's all they covered, like, because her murderer was on a standoff for yeah. nine and a half hours. And I'm, so, where was she murdered? In Corpus. Or in San Corpus. Th- okay, yeah. <coughs> I moved to San Antonio in '95, right when she died from St. Louis. Had never heard of her, but it was like Elvis had been assassinated. It was like the biggest. And see, I remember news. like. I had never heard of her before, but when she died, I remember hearing like it being big news. Yeah, she was talented. Yeah. yeah. Okay, tell us about her. And so, yeah. So, so she died this year. Uh, it's twenty five years ago, which I can't like. I'm, That's it's also mind crazy, blowing. Yeah. So at this point, she's now been dead longer than she was alive. Um, she was killed by her fan club president, uh, the woman named Yolanda Saldivar, uh, who was also the manager of uh, Selena's clothing store boutique. So Selena, at that time, she was also, I mean, she was breaking records from an industry standpoint from Tano Music, but also started her own uh, her own clothing brand, was starting fragrances, was about to cross over into the English market. That's crazy that she's that big. Yeah, she had that. She had, was she f- recording her English album? When she died, so they yes. released a few songs after. Yep, really good songs. <coughs> so uh, she and her dad. Uh, what, what, so the lead up to how this murder happened. She and her dad uh, were super close. Her dad was the manager of of the the band of Selena, and uh, they were very close. And so 
Um, they were close with Yolanda. I mean, Yolanda again was the, she was the fan club president. Then started being because she had known employee. them for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had known her for years. Yeah, right? yeah, started being an active employee in in Selena's business. Uh, but they noticed uh, Selena started hearing things from people saying, "Hey, you know, she's you know, Yolanda's not right. Like she's making bad decisions." Uh, Selena really valued Yolanda. Um, finally, her dad came to her one day and like, "Look, the books aren't adding up. Like she's yeah, taking money from right. us." And so they discovered uh, that she had forged checks and she was embezzling thirty thousand uh, dollars from the uh, from the business. Oh, really? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so uh, her dad Abraham and Selena confronted her, and then on, so on March 9th they uh, asked her for an explanation. They said, "Tell us what's going on." Um, she said, "Hey, I didn't do anything. She was distraught. Uh, Yolanda left." Uh, the city on March 13th, she bought a gun. And, and this was all in uh, uh, Corpus, Corpus Christi. Christi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're not familiar, Corpus is just... Uh, About three hours south of Houston. Yeah, it's along the coast of Texas. Yeah. Um, and so on March 13th, she left town. She bought a gun. Um, she claims that, uh, Yol- this she being Yolanda, Yolanda claims that her fa- uh, Selena's father threatened her. She came back into town and reached out to Selena and said, let's have a meeting. Selena was like, yeah, I'm, gonna, I, I'm with the books and the state, the bank statements. And it was going to be one-on-one. Yeah, because Yolanda said, come alone. Uh, she said, <coughs> excuse me. She also said, hey, uh, I've been raped, and so uh, meet me at this hotel. Yolanda said that? Yeah, Yolanda said that. As just a ploy. Yeah, well, that's what we all believe. Uh, and so she said, meet me at the Days Inn Hotel in Corpus Christi. So this was March 31st. Uh, like I said, she told her to come alone. Uh, they went to go. So Selena took Yolanda to the hospital. They didn't find anything. Now, as I was reading, like, I didn't realize, like, so they didn't actually do a full on, like, rape, rape test because they're like the Corpus Christi um, uh, uh, place they went to. They said, well, you should go to San Antonio because you're from San Antonio. They've got better equipment to test you. So uh, you should go go there. Um, so they went to the doctor again, didn't find anything. But again, the the right tests were performed. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they went back to the hotel. And so how, like this um, lady, Yolanda, was she like Selena's age or was she way older? Was she? She was, she was older. Um, they had like a, a mother daughter. Okay. Yeah. That's well, what I thought. Yeah. yeah. I, according to uh, Yolanda, they had a mother daughter. Um, mm-hmm. Cause Yolanda says, Oh, I would treat her like my daughter. Um, uh, she also says Selena called me mom. Of course, Selena's family says no. We've never known. We've never known Selena to call Yolanda mom, and so um, so. Anyways, but they had a close friendship, right? Um, so they go back to the days in the hotel. Uh, Selena says, "Hey, I want to see the records. I want uh, I want an explanation for what you've done." Uh, they argued, and then Yolanda pulled out pulled out a gun and shot Selena. Of course, God, that's so, crazy. so Yolanda claims. Uh, I, I mentioned this because it's like it's so it tells you the mind of Yolanda, the the murderer. Did she claim <coughs> that um, Selena was threatening her? She claimed that she told Selena that she was going to leave. She's like, Selena, I can't be part of the business anymore. This is too much. Um, oh. She said Selena dropped to her 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 feet, Yolanda's feet, and said was just holding on to him and said, please don't go, please don't go. Was begging her not to go, and she's like, mm. we need to talk about this. So. Uh, she says mm, Selena was walking it. to the door, and uh, and as she as Yolanda as Selena was walking to the door, Yolanda pulled out a gun and and was pointing it in Selena's direction, not to uh, not to shoot her because earlier she had the gun at her head, but was pointing at the at the door, saying "Close the door," and 
that's when the the shot was fired and it was the shot basically hit selena in the shoulder then kind of went and cut an artery which is why she died okay um but uh but of course there's one witness who says hey look we heard like selena was running we heard some arguing selena was running but also um (laughs) she brought a gun to what was like a meeting that she organized and then it's also like and told it was supposed to be a let's go over yeah let's go go over some books she brought a gun, so that's like premeditation right there. Right. And so it wasn't just Yes. And so Selena, um, you know, she's shot, she runs to the lobby. Uh one of the, the, the maids in the Days Inn Hotel, uh, she was like, Oh no, I heard Yolanda say, Selena, you bitch, and then shot her. Um, I say that because there <laughs> there's this uh, on a quick aside, my sister and I were like we would watch countless after Selena died, countless we had recorded so many News clips and oh, y'all TV doing some specials. Investigations. Well, well, no, we were just like we missed Selena, like uh, YouTube and so, videos. Um, well, this was before YouTube, <laughs> yeah, so exactly. we all recorded it on a, a t- cassette tape yeah. that's worn the heck out. Um, we would go, but there was this one clip where this maid was like, "I heard her," and she said, "Selena, you bitch." And so just the way she said it, and so we would always, my, we would always call my fr- going back to my sister's best friend Selena. We'd always say like, "Selena, Selena you, you bitch." bitch. And so <laughs> it's a little term of, term of endearment. She knew we, we meant she loved we loved her. But um, but yeah. So there's that that statement says basically dif- um, disputing what Yolanda said. Oh, you know, Selena was begging me to stay. They're like, no, you ran after her and you call, you know you called her a bitch. So Selena runs to the lobby. She says Yolanda Saldivar was the one who you know before she uh, becomes unconscious. She. Uh, um, that she's the one that shot her. She acknowledges Yolanda was the one that shot her, and and the hotel room. Uh, Yolanda runs to her truck. Uh, Selena, the 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 paramedics come pick up Selena. Selena dies before she gets to the hospital. Uh, and uh, Yolanda then stays in her truck, and she's in their, her truck for nine hours. The police are trying to pull her out, or trying to not pull her out, but they're like but trying yeah. to coax her out. They're negotiating. All this is being you know on live TV. So as I leave school, I get home. I'm distraught. I'm hearing all this. You know, I get home. My my, I pick up my sister because we were latchkey kids. I picked her up from the babysitters. My parents get home, and all we did was like watch the news, and we just watching Yolanda Saldivar in her red Silverado truck with a gun to her head, saying, "I killed my best friend. I'm so sorry." Apparently, she didn't know she killed her because uh, if you listen to some of the tapes, like you could hear in the background where the radio's like. Selena's dead. And oh, so she thought she just shot her. Yeah, but and she, she found out dead. in her yeah. truck. Yeah, she's like, radio. did I kill my friend? Oh my gosh, I killed my best friend. She was my only friend. I killed my. B-. Well, she's kind of nuts, right? Yeah. Well, the the all the like that you know you hear all this afterwards, like the testimony and everything. Like Yolanda was obsessed with Selena, um, and that's the, what was. Well, here's the thing the that w- was, I remember hearing that was she, she was a obsessed. lesbian or was it rumored to be a lesbian or? Uh, Yolanda says there was no. Pr- I mean, there's. They did not have a lesbian affair. Oh, of course not. No, but like, like did Yolanda have a lesbian crush, crush or was it just, was she fascinated with her because of her celebrity or? Uh, I think she was fascinated by the celebrity. Like, I don't, I don't know if there was, I mean, if you look at pictures of Yolanda, I mean, if you want to stereotype, you'd be like, okay, yeah, she's a lesbian, but, um, there's no, no proof of that. Um, but, uh, but yeah. God, that's crazy. I remember hearing that like she was, um, obsessed with her, that Yolanda was obsessed with her. And she was only like 23 when she died. Is that right? 23. 23. Yeah, that's crazy. A little baby. I know. Which is crazy because I look at pictures now and I'm like, she didn't look 20. I mean, I didn't think she looked 23 now. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. Well, in yeah. the, the mid-90s, everybody looked a good 10 years older. Because of the hair? 
Oh yeah, I was thirteen and I looked twenty three. I look Selena's age. <laughs> you, I mean, <laughs> because of the hair. Yes. So I mean, they finally got Yolanda. They finally, um, like I said, and then the rest is kind of a history. But I, I wanted wanted to talk about this incident because you know there's all the gay divas, and I know now in twenty twenty there's this concept of like, do we still need gay divas? I don't know if we need to acknowledge them as. Oh, I, I still think they hold a place. Yeah. And, like. Um, <coughs> Is she a gay diva or is she? Because she seems like a diva for all. Well, she is, but I think San Antonio. As I as we've, as I, I think more so, and I, I it's it's through this podcast that I'm like she actually holds a place. Yeah. And and not just I knew this from a Hispanic standpoint, or from being Mexican American, but also as being a gay person. Like if there was going to be a share or a Tina mm-hmm. Turner, it is Selena. Been here, yeah. And and it's it's because. It's not just because she was pretty, but she defied odds. I mean, she broke barriers. I mean, if you think about music in the late 80s, early 90s, it's male-dominated. Sure, you have Madonna and Whitney, <coughs> but um, you're sticking to... I mean, Madonna was breaking... I mean, at the, my point is, you're just starting to see some kind of real breakthrough of women. Like, well, it's one thing to be a woman dominating a male industry, but you were a little Mexican American kid in San yeah. Antonio, and it's like, there's someone that's like me. Not only right. a woman, but it could be. Yeah, I mean the closest. My tia. The, the closest that people had uh, as Latin, Latin Americans was uh, was Cher. Gloria Estefan. Well, Gloria Estefan and Cher. I mean, cause Cher because she had. Well, she was look, Armenian. She had half a, Armenian or whatever. But she had a look that was not. Yeah. yeah. Blonde, right? Was considered. And even Gloria Estefan, I mean, um, you know. Like it was a big deal for her, like when she was gonna release her, um, like uh, some of her Spanish songs. Yeah, it was a big deal because they were like, "Oh, it's gonna wreck your career and stuff like that." Well, and just to there's that, Charo and Gloria, but to that point, I mean, Gloria was, uh, she was uh, a, yeah. a Miami sound, right? Which was wait, Gloria, our sweet listener, lesbian no. listener, or no. Estefan, Estefan. Oh, okay. But we love Gloria too. Uh, no, but Gloria Stefan was indicative of what popular Latin music was. Mm-hmm. Music and also, let me ask you this. She was Cuban, which is a whole different right, yeah, yeah, genre. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> Who's that? Uh, Gloria, Gloria Stefan? Stefan was well, like Caribbean, Cuban. Yep. If you're going to like let... Um, um, but it's different than Miami. A, but it's I think different than American you know, Gloria white Stefan mainstream. might be to Miami would. Well, no, Selena was to San Antonio because Selena was very regional. I'll say it's bigger, though, because uh, Gloria Stefan was bigger. And, and, well, I don't say she's bigger because my... But she was more mainstream. The point I'm going to bring... Make is Gloria was making mainstream Latin music, right? Mm -hmm. For the Latin market. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what Gloria was producing was... Uh, um, it was salsa, merengue, mm. it was rock. She started out trying to be mainstream, and then it, and it was mainstream yeah, Latin. So it. it would apply in Cuba, and Puerto Rico, yeah. and Mexico, and With the Miami Sound Machine. Come on, everybody, let me do that. Cuban right. Stuff. Whereas but Selena was making a very regional type music, but she broke those barriers because mm-hmm. people in Mexico and other parts of Latin America really liked her. I mean, when yeah. Selena was, I mean, Tejano artists weren't leaving San Antonio or Corpus Christi or Houston area or Dallas. Like, but Selena went and the performed Valley. in Chicago. She performed in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. And so she had a, fa- a, a growing That's base. why I do think it's like a bigger deal than like Gloria Stefan. Cause I mean, if like her stuff just seems more mainstream, right? right. Yeah. Mainstream in the Latin market, right? That could, I mean, but everyone knows the salsa and the merengue. People don't know Tejano music. And the thing about, what what Selena was doing, like Tejano music or regional Mexican music, which was conjunto music, which was largely 
what they'll call ranchera or uh, accordion bass. So a lot of accordion. So you're doing um, uh, what's a type? Of, uh, I don't want to say tango type. It's not tango. You're doing um, salsa. Uh, not salsa. You're doing uh, frick waltz. Waltz type dancing. It's not waltz. Um, whereas Selena was cumbia. introducing uh-huh. cumbia, that's what she was doing. So that was a was a popular uh, uh, sound, but it was it wasn't it wasn't mainstream Latin mm-hmm. popular. Yeah, so she was like an ambassador for a culture that the mainstream did not see. That's why I think it's a bigger deal because I mean Gloria Stefan, which she was awesome, and I mean should be held in high regard, and she made her own ways, but. Um, her stuff just seemed very palatable to a lot of people, right? Yeah, because, I mean, again, outside of that border town, Mexico, Texas and Mexico, like what Gloria was producing was mainstream. Selena was very... Right, exactly. It was a different style. I was yeah. just using her as a, like a... No, no, I, I Another agree, yeah. Latina. Yeah. But she was a, a, a woman, so Selena, mm-hmm. a woman regional broke boundaries and she introduced i mean you mentioned earlier the mexican madonna she introduced a new way of doing business because uh in terms of performing music because she previously the singers in that that market the hanami market they basically held a microphone wore some glittery dresses and stood still and she was like i'm gonna wear a halter top and i'm gonna wear tight pants and i'm gonna perform this music i'm not just gonna sing it i'm gonna perform it yeah i'm gonna use my sexuality not to exploit it, but in a way that's yeah. expressive. And so, um, so yeah, and she, she broke those barriers that were... It's kind of sad because it makes you think, like, <coughs> I mean, A, what could she have become if her life wasn't taken so early? But then also, like, what kind of an impact she would have had on the music community? Say, like, she had a 30-year career versus, you know, her yeah, I mean, life she, being so short. At this point, she would only be... She would be 48. 48. She'd be yeah. younger than J-Lo, which interesting. I mean... Yeah, well, what she'd have been Yolanda? up on that Super Bowl stage. What's that? She'd have been up on that Super yeah. Bowl stage. Oh, I mean, part of that. So I mean, just on on Selena. She, you know, Selena was like at the time like just this huge thing, especially for our, the, our regional audience. Like, yeah. she was sexy. She was young. She was fun. I mean, people loved her because she was genuine. She was funny. She made fun of herself. So she was a diva. I mean, because she had this big personality. And mm-hmm. there was one award show where people were booing her because she was thanking her husband. And she was like, look, I love my husband. And she's like, if I were dating any of you, you guys would be happy too. So she was feisty in that regard. Um, but she was also very humble. I mean, she would talk about going to eat at the Olive Garden all the time. That was her favorite restaurant in Corpus Christi. Um but I mean, she won a Grammy award and that that's when I think like the community really like oh, our girl is, yeah, she just went to the Grammys, looks freaking amazing and won an award. Like people from San Antonio weren't winning Grammys, George Strait, maybe. Okay. But other than that, like yeah. brown people were, yeah, were yeah, doing yeah. that. And she was doing that. She was, before she died, she was, uh, set to appear and she did appear in uh, a movie. Granted, she was a mariachi singer, but she was in this movie with Johnny Depp, uh, it was Don Juan DeMarco. Faye Dunaway, Marlon Brando. I mean, again, people was she like, like an us, extra or was it? A yeah, I mean, she was a no, she didn't have a big speaking role, oh, okay. but she was if you look at the wiki page, she's noted in there. I mean, she I know this because she was talking mm-hmm. about it on, as it's like I'm in this movie again. Someone who yeah. looked like us was not doing that. So she was a hometown hero, inspiring women. Even your girl Oprah called her an all American girl uh, before she is, died. Or after? No, this is after. Uh, but, uh, she was power. I mean, she was that had that all American, yeah. like, you know, my 
people my dad's age or my parents' age would be like, oh, you know, they could see her as their daughter. Me, I was like, oh, maybe I might date her someday. But it was just like, or, or the gay side of me, but like, can I be her someday? Yeah. Uh, but but uh, dream. Can, dream. I, can I dance like that? Yeah. <laughs> but she overcame. Uh, I mean, the, I mean yeah. you when you're talking about like, the D, the gay diva standard, right? I mean, she overcame odds from poverty, from a racial standpoint, from a sexual standpoint. I mean, being a woman in this male-dominated yeah. industry, uh, and she broke barriers, which I think that's what a lot of people respect Selena for. <coughs> Just in terms of what to me is like, I'm talking about her 25 years later, but she's still being talked about today. I mean, she's yeah. still being remembered and honored, um, breaking records. She's still on her. Music? And for somebody that had such a short career, it's not like she had a 30-year career and is, yeah. you know, being remembered. Yeah. Her music is still on the Billboard charts, though. I mean, granted, it's the Latin market charts, but they're still, like, she's yeah. a, still a top 10 artist. She has not produced music in over 25, 25 years. years. Yeah. Uh, but she's still there. You know, the, the her English crossover album that Pat, uh, that was released just shortly after she died was the number one the number one album, the first time a Latin American, a female Latin American artist hit number one as a, as their first week on the charts. Um, of course, you know, her death spawned a movie, which starred Jennifer Lopez. Um, and you know, we can, I, <coughs> I don't know if we give all the credit to Selena for Jennifer Lopez, but I mean that, that was a major, and the fact that Jennifer Step. Lopez still like talks about it just recently, um, and it may be an inspiration to her, too. Well, let's you know talk I mean? about the movie. Hold, hold on. But I will say this on Jennifer Lopez. She just recently, because the movie just premiered. Uh, well, put her on the map, kind of. Well, it did. But Jennifer Lopez, just this year, just a few weeks ago, like produced, like, produced a tribute to the Selena, you know, the Selena movie um, on YouTube, on her YouTube channel. So Really, I mean, yeah. Just, all these years later, that's So it's considered happening. a cheesy movie now, or always was kind of like a cheesy movie did you like an almost like a lifetime movie did her mega fans think it was cheesy or did you just appreciate any kind of i think at the time the fact that she was getting that much attention and it wasn't a lifetime movie you were like wow it was a hollywood movie it was wide release well now it's like a cult (coughs) classic it's yeah it's on vh1 all the freaking time um but uh yeah it's uh i mean I totally look back at it now. It's a camp movie. Total camp movie. Um, yeah, but at I've the time, seen, like... Uh, never seen it. What? I need to watch it. It's that's my, own lifetime that's my, that's my research this week day. during the quarantine. I'm yeah. going to be like... <laughs> it, uh, by the way, this cough is allergies. It's not, it's not COVID. We all have coronavirus. Uh, we'll be in ICU the next three weeks. But I, I, th- I think the movie now, looking back at it, is very campy. Like, yeah. But at the time, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like a $100 budget. But I feel movies in general evolve, and so maybe just any movie from that genre might be a little campy to you. Mm. What was the late 90s? Uh, 97 is when That was not a cute time in movies. And the movie got produced because, I mean, well, the family says, I mean, the thing about uh, about the how it was produced, like uh, the family says they were, they were getting um, hints that there, a movie was going to be made about Selena, and they're like, and so the lawyers and the, their lawyers in California were like, uh, if you want to have a say in this, you might need to make your own movie. So they made the movie because they're like, we want to be able to tell the story versus. Oh, you know, okay, yeah, that's good. <coughs> yeah, it's interesting though because you know her dad is like known to be a tight-fisted person, like very strict. Not like you, Tony. <laughs> he likes different open, type of tight. He likes an open fist, and <laughs> uh, but Ooh. but uh, but I mean, he's shrewd. I mean, 
I mean, all the things that you see. So you've seen uh, in the last just five years, we've seen uh, um, uh, was it Mac? Is that the uh, makeup line, Spence? Is Mac that did Mac? Oh, they do. So Mac I'm had a get Corona tested. <laughs> Mac had a uh, had a line. Um, uh, there was recently a local store, uh, a Texas grocery stain uh, chain. Stain. H-E-B that had special commemorative bags about her. Um, there was a Google Doodle. Uh, so you know how Google, if you type in google.com, you'll see some like, yeah. daily. There was one uh, a tribute to Selena a while back. But all this is coordinated with their family. Like none of it's done. Like And, and if you watch, I say this because I read a Texas Monthly magazine where they were like, if anything has Selena like, and the family's involved, everyone wants to make sure that they're, it's almost like talking about Donald Trump. <clears throat> In terms of, you know, how a press conference gets started and they all start with like... Wait, do you mean yeah. the family wants to have control, creative control over it or they want to make money off of it? Well, that's the debate. Like, that's the thing. Like, if you mm. ask my grandmother, she's like, that dad just wants to make money off of it. Like, okay, my, gra- yeah. my dad thinks, my grandmother thinks to this day. And I told Spencer, <laughs> just try. And I told Her dad you does not Kendall, have a good reputation. Uh, I was like, ask my grandma about Selena. And my, sure enough, my grandma will go off and she's like, that dad did it. And that and Shelly Lottis, which is another Tejano singer. She thinks the it. dad was in on it? Yeah. Because he was trying to make money. And another time, no. But I, I know. But my point is, there are some people that view that because yeah. he is he is very involved. Like he wants to control every aspect of that. He did not brand. look good in that movie at all. No. Um, well, that that and if but you look if you look at him, like he, he, I saw an interview of him recently. They were asking about him and Selena's ex husband, who or not they were married at the time when she died. And he's like, well, what do you you know? Chris is saying these things. He's like, well, he hasn't talked to the family, so why should I mean? He's not. He's not part. It's just Get like the fuck out, control really? freak. Yeah, he's like I'm going to control all the brand, and so he's got a very. And he uh, does have control. He has total, complete control. Like there was, there was a tribute. There's when a when she was alive too. Yeah, there was a quasi tribute that some drag queen puts together in Corpus Christi. Her name is Jennifer Lopez. No. And he she tried to. He's like, you guys need to stop. You shouldn't be doing this. I didn't give you permission. Like this is my brand. Oh, now, that's too much. No, on one hand though. Like her, like, I mean, I guess it's a balance, right? Because um, I, I I think about like Lisa Marie Presley with her dad's face all the time, and it's different because Lisa Marie was how old when her dad died? Yeah, like, not that old, yeah, right? Really young. But being the the father, like your daughter's face is everywhere. Wouldn't you want to control like when? In in a way, but then also like if some local drag queen is like, there's like, respect in her, that. Yeah, and it's like unless she's making fun of her or something, it's like no, if she's trying to be here. Now, this like, that would like be trying to explain that to my dad. Like, oh, it's for you know, there, it's a tribute. My dad would have no time. I mean, I get it. I understand. I understand it. Yeah, but I'm trying to view because it view is a tribute, and it's the, like they're honoring her the, by being like, I'm a drag queen. I can be anybody I want. Yeah, Cher, Tina Turner, and I want to be Madonna, Selena, yeah, Selena. Yeah, uh, drag queens aren't honoring nobody. Right, and boring and, people. And, you know, going to that point, I mean, just to kind of put a cap on all this, like, I mean, I think Selena's legacy, the, the fact that it, it's still happening 25 years later, the discussion's still happening on Selena, on RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah, they're paying, uh, you know, homage to, to Selena, that other drag queens in the Houston market. Like, when when I saw a drag performance at uh, when Dixie was doing her, her competition uh, last year, the biggest cheer I saw out of all of them was when... Uh, Rudolph, um, not, yeah, but any Selena performance gets people off the, Casey Musgraves last year at the rodeo had 
that was the biggest applause she got uh, during her whole, whole concert. It was yeah. when she did. And we're also in Texas. And it's n- but a- but it's not just. I mean, when I when she died, when she died, all I heard from uh, my predominantly white school was, "Oh, I didn't know about her till she died." And I was like, "I've been living and breathing this woman. Like I have all the CDs and tapes of Selena." Um, And so the fact that young folks, like the twenty-somethings now, are like remembering Selena. I can go to a gay bar and see an impersonation of Selena. Or a tribute to yeah, Selena. especially twenty five years later when these people weren't even born. Right, what, you know, I yeah. can see s- some of the young gay kids wearing Selena shirts. Were they the shirts. kids of people that love yeah. her? And wearing, you know, wearing the Selena shirt. I mean, she again going back to being why sh- why we talk about Selena, a true a, a diva. I think was not Selena diva. Gomez named after her? Yes. By the way, was she? Okay. Yeah. I mean, isn't she from Corpus Christi? No, she's from Dallas. But uh, but people. People look up to her because she broke barriers as a woman. She broke ba- barriers as a biracial person, not in the sense like biracial. She, well, no, her family was both, but just being Mexican and American, like being of Mexican descent, born, yeah. um, born in uh, born in Houston. I mean, <coughs> born in born in Texas, but of Mexican descent. So you look brown. Um, so you're brown enough. Like it was hey, said, I'm down brown. it was said in the fam, uh, in the too. movie, Hashtag like me too. you're, you're, uh, you're too Mexican me too. for the Americans and you're not Mexican enough for the Mexicans. And, uh, she straddled that line. Well, uh, she broke barriers. And like I said, I've been just, I'm mesmerized that people are, are still talking about her 25 years. Like never did I think this conversation would still be happening. I'm so happy that it is. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad to contribute to it. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Selena. She's cute. Yolanda out of prison, right? Oh, no. So uh, interesting. Like uh, she was supposed to come up for release a few years ago. See, I'm not choked up anymore. I'm good. I can talk. Yeah. Now. Uh, I got through that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she, a you're not crying anymore. <laughs> no, seriously. Blame it on the pandemic. Uh, I mean, if we would have had this a couple of y- days ago, I would have been in tears. I was like watching all the video. I was like, yeah. okay. is that why you canceled? Yes. That's really why I can't. <laughs> he is. He's ready. like, I'm not feeling well. I'm not ready emotionally for this. Uh, no, uh, she was uh, due out for uh, release a few years ago. They denied it. Um, she actually tried to get a retrial because she said they excluded some um, uh, information from her her case. And, she's and so like, was it like uh, like first degree murder, like premeditated murder that she got? Or was it like some lesser charge? Like I think it was a lesser charge because originally she was only she was given thirty five years, uh, oh, okay. and so she could have been up for eligible for yeah. for parole or release a, a few years ago. Uh, her, I saw a recent interview with her dad, when the same one he was bashing her, <laughs> Selena's husband. Uh, he he was saying he still gets because they were asking like, what do you think about Yolanda? He's like, I've forgiven her a long time ago. Like, I that's. That's her problem. Like, hey, I can't hold that. Yeah. Um, but he was saying he's still get, like, he's pro- she's probably best in jail because he says he still gets letters to to this day that oh that people are threatening her Yolanda. Yeah. yeah, they were like they will kill her as soon as she comes out. Twenty five years later. Wow. Yeah, I believe that you might be one of them in the mob. No. Oh, I know. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. We had to cancel. Well, the I, had to, I had to like I had to rethink Yolanda. <laughs> I had to rethink that like my. I'm glad I did all the research because I was I was watching a lot of Yolanda interviews and I was like, well, I guess that did happen that way. I was feeling I wouldn't say sympathetic, but I was like I was trying to play both Team sides of the uh, But I was like, oh my gosh, that woman's a murder. As I reminded <laughs> myself of all the things she did, I was like, that awful, awful Burr. woman. Yeah, so. Selena, you bitch. <laughs> Selena, you bitch. What an iconic line for the gays. It is. <laughs> That's, why gay That's why she's Selena, a gay icon. That's why she's Selena, you bitch. bitch. <laughs> 
Wow. Um, that, was, that was awesome. Speaking of Maybe. gay icons, which, well, hey, I will say this. We talked a, lot, a little bit about Gloria. Uh, these folks are not. Uh, they've, they've asked us to hold uh, the, the ad normally that we're going to do for the Woodlawn Theater. Um, but they, everything's on hold right now for them because of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So the, the, unfortunately, we were talking about uh, previous episodes where they were going to do the premiere of On Your Feet. Um, that's not happening. Oh, yeah. and, so, uh. and so they're in a bit of a... I mean, so they had to delay things, but they're a nonprofit organization in the end. I mean, they came out to us, uh, they reached out to us because they're like, we, you know, we want to be more, um, uh, we want to be known more in the LGBT community. We think your podcast can help us do that. We want to talk about our pride nights. Uh, but obviously they're in a bit of a pickle with this thing and, and they may have to, you know, their big fundraising events were supposed to happen in these weeks of, of quarantine. So everything's on hold now for them. Uh-huh. So the money that they were expecting isn't coming in so if you are a local san antonian or even if you're across the globe and you're in a position that can donate to uh, the woodlawn theater in san antonio they would definitely appreciate it they're holding a fundraiser right now virtually online to try to raise funds to offset not only the loss that they're not going to be able to get from their fundraising events google the woodlawn theater san antonio woodlawntheater.org uh and um and try to uh, and and they would accept your donations because none like I said their fundraisers aren't happening and they're not putting on their shows which is another revenue generator for them yeah uh, again they're great for the community in the sense that uh, they are uh, they they're they're putting on these shows but they're also they teach theater to mm-hmm. you know folks and we all know the gays love a theater so I mean Shit. Uh, they'd appreciate your support. Born in it. They're and anybody gay or straight, you never know when that's going to awaken somebody's talent. Yeah. You know? they're, and they're trying to raise $20,000. I think last time I checked, they're at $6,000. So uh, check them out. Again, that's woodlawntheater.org. Uh, and make sure you support your local theater communities. So, all right. Tony. All right. Um, tough to follow Selena and your passion. I mean, um, I didn't cry, so I'm excited. I did get choked up. <laughs> I mean, literally choked up and figuratively. I mean, that was that was emotion that was coughing because I will probably not. I don't feel any sort of thing in my throat now. So it's I do feel the last like 10 minutes. You've totally been healed <laughs> to get it out. Um, so tonight I'm going to talk about the Harvey Milk High School, which in its own right is pretty, um, pretty unique. There's a pretty uh, amazing purpose i think but is not without its controversy so um and i kind of want to get your thoughts on a couple things towards the end of my discussion but so the harvey milk high school was actually founded this week in 1985 um the harvey milk high school it's a small high school in east greenwich village in new york city it was founded in 1985 by the hetrick uh, martin institute and so the Hetrick Martin Institute, it was founded in 1979 by two uh, gay men who were partners, uh, Emery Hetrick and Damian Martin. And they founded the Hetrick Martin Institute as an LGBT uh, youth center. And basically, I mean, even now, you know, a lot of LGBT youth are kicked out of their homes or living on the streets because they're gay. Some faith-based organizations that offer food or shelter to homeless people will not include gay people. So you can imagine how bad it was in the 70s. Um, So they created this institute in the 70s to be like a service center for youth. And it's expanded over the years. But, um, you know, they provide counseling. They provide like a food pantry, um, you know, uh, job skills training, things like that. Um, 
So they created this institute in 1979, and they kind of uh, grew over the years, expanded their services. In 83, they had kind of a drop-in center where LGBT youth could, like, uh, come and stay. And in 1985, they founded the Harvey Milk High School, which at the time, it was two rooms in their building that they had in New York City, uh, less than 20 students, and... Basically, it was kind of a collaboration with their institute and the Department of Education, New York City's Department of Education, their Career Education Center. And it was really, uh, the purpose was these, these LGBT youth that were homeless or, you know, had to uh, go to this for food. It was a place for them to get a GED. So it wasn't like a fully accredited high school. It was two rooms where they would have a place to study, people would help them, and they could like study and get their GED. Um, but it was the first high school in the US that catered solely to LGBT people. Um, and it really was an alternative for LGBT youth that were either kicked out of their house or couldn't really go to regular school because they were getting harassed and bullied so much. So between 85 when it was founded and um, in 2002, it became a fully accredited four-year high school that is run by the New York City Department of Education. Um, but between those years, uh, when it was founded, it was less than 20 students. And so um, between when it was founded and the early 2000s, it had uh, grown to about 40 to 50 students. And now there's over 100 students. Wow. And so it's a fully accredited four-year high school. Um, in 2002, it really became uh, the fully accredited high school because the Department of Education in New York City had given it a $3.2 million grant to kind of expand it. And then in 2004, they got another big grant from uh, them to, like, expand it. But it's still housed in the same building as the um, Hedrick Martin Institute. So um, there... Their mission is not only to provide like a high school education, which their curriculum is a normal accredited high school. It's, you know, math, science, English, you know, arts, things like that. Um, it's also to really, um, you know, help them deal with their sexuality, the students. And also because a lot of these students go in there. So 20% of the students at Harvey Milk High School are homeless. Um, most of them are either, you know, poverty-stricken, they were kicked out of their homes because they were, uh, you know, their families were religious, they just had really a lot of problems with uh, academics and couldn't, you know, handle, like, the normal school, whatever. Um, so most people that go there have a lot of issues, and so their, their, their focus is we want to get you a good education, but we also want you to deal with your sexuality, and because most people were bullied, you know, and that's why they chose to go here versus North, because you have to choose to go there. It's not like somebody can send you there. Like the student has to say, I want to go here versus regular high school. So do you have to pay like a special tuition for that or like how? Is that I like don't a know. I school? would say. Prove that you're gay. I, so I think it's actually. Um, so you have it's to go part to the of like the New York office. City school system. And so I think it's probably open to the public. You just have to like qualify. And I, I would say. Probably not because most of the people that go there are either homeless, poverty stricken. So I and I think the Hetrick um, Martin Institute is largely um, uh, there's a lot of private donations because it was founded 
by two gay men. One was a psychiatrist, one was a college professor, and it seemed like it was a lot of their friends that had, you know, had the initial funding. So I'm pretty sure they have a pretty good like fundraising arm. Um, but they also want to teach people, students, like this is how you properly deal with bullying, not like probably not beat the shit out of somebody. Like here's how you professionally like deal with somebody. Um, this is how you read them for yeah. film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's an important class, but <laughs> you know, they, they encourage people to like be involved socially, be involved in your community and things like that. Uh, civic involvement. Um, most of the students that go to this, they really use a lot of the other resources, uh, of the Hetrick Martin Institute, whether it's counseling, like, um, you know, job aids, things like that. Because, you know, from a student's perspective, some of the reasons that people chose to go there or choose to go there are, um, you know, they're getting bullied in their normal school and they don't want to go there or whatever, um, or their families, like, are tough on them and kick them out. But most people that go there, they don't need just a high school education. They need, to help, they need help finding a place to live, finding a job to support themselves. And so it's like you know, not only teaching these kids like algebra and biology, but it's, uh, here's how you find a job at 16 or whatever. Um, things like that. So real life skills, real life skills. Yeah. And there's like the wide spectrum and, you know, a lot of them probably don't have a lot of health education as far as like, here's how to be protected being gay and things like that. Um, cause a lot of them are runaways, whatever. Um, so it definitely serves, you know, because we'll get into it in a minute about a lot of the controversy around the school, but it serves a need. It's not just a normal high school where it's like, okay, you're learning algebra and geometry. You can, like, learn that anywhere. It really does serve a need where you're teaching these kids, you know, you have to make money, you have to pay rent, you have to have a checking account, like, protect yourself you know physically and emotionally you're 16 coming out of the closet whatever. not only that but it's a safe space for these kids the rate of homelessness uh, among lgbt youth and the rate of homicide and drug addiction among lgbt youth is like much much higher than yep. heterosexuals it's because many of them are shunned and kicked out of their own yep. homes and that's why in my opinion we'll get into it in a bit about like the controversy around the school but to me it's not a school. It is a lifeline. You're 16, 17, 15, whatever. And this is like a crossroads between getting into drugs and living on the streets or, oh, my God, I can actually, you know, other people have been through this where they got a job, got an apartment, went to high school. My teachers and faculty members came out of the closet too. their parents were not supportive. This is kind of like a lifeline at a turning point in their life. Um, and so, you know, 95% of the students here are either Hispanic or African-American. Ninety, They have a 95% graduation rate, which is way higher than Whoa, the, the like, city or state of New York. Say, so what school has that? Yeah, and 60%. I mean, there's only, you know, probably 110 students here, but it's so intimate, and they want it to be intimate. So it's like they're with you every step of the way, counseling, things like that. Um and 60% of the students that graduate actually go on to uh, further their education. So, as many things But came, also 99% of them are the bottoms of the class? Wait, in the bottom? There are 50-50 the top, <laughs> bottom, mix. 
Mm-hmm. And it's heavily it's verse. Please don't get it. <laughs> it's an all verse school. <laughs> um, so this school is not without its controversy. So it was founded in 85 and really between 85 and 2002, you know, nobody uh, really was offended by it because it was privately funded. In 2002, when it became part of like the New York public school system, it was heavily protested. So like um, there was a chairman of one of the uh, a very conservative state political organization you know, he spoke out against it, and he said, is there a different way to teach homosexuals? Do they have gay math or something? Uh, when it was opened, the uh, Westboro Baptist Church sent a contingent up, and they heavily protested it. And some of the faculty members said, you know, I've been involved in a lot of gay protests, and we heard some hateful things, but they were really rough. Like, they were like, y- you know, die faggots and stuff like that as these poor teenagers were just trying to go to school. Um there so not only do you get to get bullied by, you know, your you know, people your age, you get to by some old ignorant people. Exactly, yeah. Fun. Um, there was a state senator who was from an underprivileged area of Brooklyn, and he actually sued to have the funding for this school revoked because he said, look, this is a sexually biased education. You're taking money away from my students who are underprivileged, even though most of the people that go to the, almost all the people that go to Harvey Milk High School are underprivileged. Um, and they ended up keeping their funding, but they had to go through the courts for years to fight that because the courts were, you know, back and forth depending on which court ruled. Um, and, you know, a lot of people said, oh, this is just a school that's trying to indoctrinate people to being gay. It's trying to turn people gay and they're teaching the gay lifestyle and everything. Um, even though the principal said, like, our curriculum is the exact same as every high school in the New York City area. It's like, you know, uh, set by the Department of Education. Um, But there were a lot of gay rights activists that said they were against this school because they said, you're putting these kids in exile, you're putting them in their own bubble. Um, If you go to a normal high school, you're going to get bullied, but A, that kind of makes you who you are, that defines you as a person, but then also... As a gay youth, it is your responsibility to stand up to that and work with the school to educate, you know, school personnel to like identify bullying. That and sounds like old bitter queens that felt that yes. they had to deal with it. So they and here's my thing: if you're from upper middle class high school, and the only difference between your high school and this is it's all gay and you're getting the same education, I don't agree with it then, but it's a different case versus because it's like how much power do you have like we talked about lawrence martin i mean there was that movie or the documentary bullying that came out like about six or seven years ago where kids are legitimately getting bullied and they go to the uh high school principal or counselor or teacher and they're like well you know just try to sit on an opposite end of the bus as the bully whatever you know I don't think it's the kid's responsibility at 15 to, like, educate school personnel and educate bullies on how you deal with, like, diversity. Um, But And that's why, you know, like I kind of pointed out, it isn't just a place to get an education. You were thrown out by your family, and it's like, what the fuck is a checking account? How do you pay rent? Like, oh, my God, I cannot go to school and work every day. But there are other students that are like, you know what, I'm a senior. Three years ago, I came here worked my ass off at McDonald's, you know, paid for a room in this house, 
and now I'm graduating. And so it kind of is a lifeline. And that's where um, if it was like some upper middle class high school where it's like, oh, I can be around my gay friends and don't have to deal with people, maybe. But it's like that's not the case. The Like this is literally, I feel, the turning point for these kids going here versus going somewhere else could be like a life of drugs out in the streets versus, okay, you know, somebody can help me like, you know, and even if it was totally upper middle class and it was just gay straight, even then it has its merits because, you know, I, I look at like Kendall, your progress, like you came out way before I did. And I mean, I lost all those years of my life you know, being closeted, right? And so... But can you imagine, like, being... Uh, so we, we often look at Kendall and we're like, oh, yeah, you've been out for a long time. But can you imagine what your life would have been like had you been able to... Had you had gay friends in high school? Exactly, like, yeah. It would have been completely, completely different. different. I mean, I've heard uh, countless, yeah. like... Uh, I think it was Andrew Randall. I heard him on interview. He was like, "Yeah, I had gay friends in elementary. We didn't know we were gay, but he, we were the we were the ones that right. were oh, playing. So you with, had the opposite. We were playing. Well, he was like, we were playing with flags, but none of us acknowledged. Like, he, this was a middle school. He's like, everyone else was playing. You know, picking on girls or whatever. He's like, we were playing flags and doing imaginary. See, you know, for me, shit you, we and, all knew who was going to turn out gay <laughs> eventually, but you avoided them completely well, because he, there's danger in numbers well that's what he said like when they got they didn't go to the same high school he said but it was very different in high school because you you did get to that point where you're like you avoided those folks but in elementary you're you're you don't know that right you're not middle school it's different because you start to like sniff that out hormones are pumping in but like in in like third we weren't rimming in middle school and well some of us for yourselves in third third, i wasn't In third grade, like, you know, you don't know who's gay. You just kind of, you know, you play, right? And so, but I, I, can you imagine, though, having, like, grown up, like, from Well, and having, like, mentors, because, you know, a lot of these kids say the reason they go there is the other students have been through what they've been through, like, as far as, like, being thrown out or whatever. But, you know, having, like, a lot of the faculty and staff who are gay, you know, because a lot of these students, they don't just go to school there. They go to counseling there. You know, they're there for, like, food, health resources, whatever. And so, um, you know, in these counseling sessions, having people being like, yeah, I know what it's like to be Jehovah's Witness or Mormon, and the whole religion's going to hell if you're living a gay lifestyle. I know what that's like. Um, but even if you didn't have to deal with that, exactly, just having gay friends where you can just be yourself a little bit more. Yeah, you can talk like about that. boys yeah, yeah, yeah. together or gr- yeah. lesbians, girls and, together. Yeah, and like, so that's where I just feel like um, it provides so much. And so because so, some of the gay people are like, well, this is a cop. So this was actually during Bloomberg's tenure as mayor. And they said, well, because apparently what he did is he really all of these schools in New York City were massive and they just kids were getting lost in the system and so he's like, okay, we need to break up the school system into, like, smaller schools, maybe even, you know, like, if you're really good at math, go to this, you know, engineering prep school. If you're good at the arts, go to the art prep school, things like that. And so they said, well, this was his answer to um, not deal with let's train all of our teachers to be, like, pro-diversity. And it's like, I mean, I don't know if they didn't have teacher training for diversity, but it's like, I don't care how much training you get. I mean, there are still bullies there. And again, it's all of these kids are underprivileged. It's not like some upper middle class school where you have 
no worries in life except being gay. It's like my family doesn't want me. I'm starving. You know, I'm going to the food pantry. And so it, um, it's not just an education. It's, um, yeah. There will always be bullies, and, and it's always our job to call them out. Whether it's our president, but or you know the gays, the gays can be bitchy too. I mean, I'm sure there's bullying within the hundred kids. Shit. Yeah, yeah. I oh, think for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but anyways, that was the Harvey Milk School, um, founded this week in 1985, and now part of you know the, the New York uh, City school system. So, um, like, I knew nothing about this until I started researching it, but I think pretty amazing place and. Um, Really glad it exists. Is that the? I mean, I don't know. Within your research, is it, are there other places like like that in in the U.S. or? Um, I don't know. I mean, I would actually doubt if there are. There's going to be very few because um, it seems like this institute is, you know, because it's part of this. In a way, it's quasi. It's it's still in the same building as the um, Hedrick Martin Institute, but um, and it seems like that's why it works here is because it's part of it. It's like you can get your education. There's a food pantry, counseling, you know, health education, health and wellness education, job skills training and things like that. And so I think it's like part of the because um, I, I would say, I don't know. I mean, because we talked a while back about like a lot of schools have like LGBT uh, straight gay alliance mm-hmm. networks and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I was just curious because, I mean, that seems like a uh, um I mean, it seems like a great like program, but I was just wondering if they're like they, if they franchise that out. I mean, I know it's yeah. now part so, of the and it is like system. it's technically labeled like an alternative school. And I remember like when I was in high school, like they had the alternative school where it's like if you were just you were in suspension all the time, or, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, but again, I think that also was. Did you go to that one? I did. Did you really? No, I'm kidding. No. Um, I would like you more. But I do feel like. Uh, if you went there. They, I think they only were allowed to get um, uh, GEDs. I don't think they got, uh, you know, full high school diploma or anything. Huh. Well, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Economy Works. Economy Works believes in the power of connection. If you're a company that needs project support to tackle your to-do list, like hiring, meeting facilitation, strategy planning, and now Economy Works wants to connect you with its talent network. The talent network has over 800 years of experience and growing in HR, marketing, IT, accounting, and other specialties. Economy Works. When we work, the economy works. Find out more at economyworks.com. That's E-C-O-N-M-I-W-O-R-K-S dot com. Woohoo! Kendall. Bring us us home. All right, Kendall. Hey, can we start this? Marlon Brando, Jimmy Dean, on the cover Cover of of a magazine. magazine. Oh, I forgot about his name drop in that song. Yeah. Marlon Brando. Okay, so my topic is Marlon Brando, who was born April 3rd, 1924. Uh, Marlon Brando was one of those people, like Joan Rivers was around for so long that depending on how old you are, like what do you know Joan Rivers for? If you knew her from Red Carpet Days, then I could probably figure out your age. If you knew her from uh, her fashion police show, then I could probably tell about your age. Or Johnny Carson, you know. Marlon Brando, like, what is your perception of Marlon Brando? Was he that hot, sexy heartthrob? Then you old as hell, and Corona's probably going to take you. <laughs> well, see, I remember both because I'm, like, my mom used to watch, like, a lot of old movies, like, growing up and stuff. Um, 
And she like Marlon Brando back in like the forties, fifties, sixties, like he was like very young, so mm-hmm. he was good looking, yeah. Oh yeah, he was the heartthrob. If you know him as the old eccentric, weird Michael Jackson best friend, obese, then you might be closer to my age. But Marlon oh, Brando how was old is that age. <laughs> You're like you're, it's you're still you're, you're like a lady never tells. You're like Karen Walker. You're like uh he's, well, he's still in danger for the yeah. coronavirus. Which body person. part are you talking about? There we go. <laughs> uh Marlon Brando, the Oscar winning actor and director, and allegedly see, this is one of those to where is he bisexual, homosexual, dabbled, and I think dangled, that's the big question. Yes, yep. and we will get into that. So we're not going to, I guess, just to put it out there. We're I don't like s- to put flat labels We're on not it. saying he's straight. We're not into labels here. Okay. He's not 100% straight. I don't think he's 100% like, I don't think he's, he's a on one on the, ki- or a zero on the Kinsey scale. He's a probably not a, he's probably not a three, one to three, he's not. He's four, five, six, seven. Oh, no, I'd say he was definitely like. Well, at the end, he was type two diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, I don't think he was 100% like gay either. I mean. No, well, we'll, we'll get into. But it, I but think that discussion is important when we have the let's talk about gay stuff discussion. Is that it doesn't have to be we throw in every letter. Oh my god, this is scandalous! LGBTQIA plus blah 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 or straight. It's like we can be different letters and right. all letters and one letter one day and then five years from now. Diff- you know what I mean? Right. And I think he was one of those people that's like. Eh. He evolved. That sucks some dick. Well, then that would make him uh, pansexual. Like, well, no. No, you don't want to assume that. Well, first of all, none of it matters. But in terms of labels, Thomas, no labels. There is discrimination based on labels, but not. It doesn't matter what the label that you choose is, or if you choose to have a label. But anyway, we're running really late. Let me keep going. Uh, He was born in Omaha, Nebraska. Youngest of three. He had two older sisters. This is 1924. Both his parents were alcoholics. His mom was a rebel for her time. This was in the 20s where she like drank and smoked and wore pants, which was like, Love oh my it. God, women, people within vagina parts aren't supposed to do that. Was she a lesbian? No. <laughs> no. She was just a rebel woman. She was a rebel woman. Not Confederate, but. And then her dad was an, also an alcoholic, but Marlon Brando didn't have these sweet thoughts like he did of his mother with his dad. He could not stand his dad and said his dad was very critical and he, I never did anything right for my dad. His, my dad hated me, that kind of stuff. Which I think a lot of actors and musicians have this need to be famous and be recognized because they have like a, a big hole in their life mm. that they're trying to fill. Is that what we're trying to do with this podcast? We all have fill your hole. <laughs> I'm trying to fill my hole. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but you were trying to do that with that grinder guy in Butte, and you know, we all saw that. If I didn't have any pain oh, you had so some he me. <laughs> I think that was a straight guy looking for drugs. <laughs> That's what Kendall said. He goes, do you think it was just a straight guy looking for drugs? <laughs> that... Because literally he's like, hey, I'm like, hey, he's like, are you in Butte? And I was like, yeah, visiting family. He's like, oh, but he did say something about he can host. And then he goes, do you have any pain meds? Well, he's probably like Marlon Brando. He's, he's like Marlon Brando pain. here. Who just looking and you for wouldn't part with any of them. Yeah. <laughs> you got Advil. <laughs> Rhinoceros strength Advil. <laughs> Flintstone vitamins. You know, that's what Tony takes every day. Still takes those Flintstone vitamins. Just eating them for it. Oh, uh, they're chewy. 
<laughs> it's a I good used to go through the bottle and find Betty because Betty was my favorite, and I felt like she was underappreciated, so I needed to eat her. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my gosh! You 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 big bisexual, le- you big old lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> I ate Betty. All right, so his childhood best friend was Wally Cox, who eventually became a famous TV actor, somewhat famous, who died at a young age. But in his childhood, and even as a grown adult, there were rumors that he was more than just friends with little Wally Cox. And he gave an interview later that um, Wally dying was the biggest upset of his life. He said, had Wally been a woman, we would be married to this day. Oh, wow. And one time he did marijuana and did marijuana that shows my how old I sound. <laughs> um, he smoked marijuana and a guy gave an interview that said he he professed his love about this guy, Wally Cox, his childhood friend to me, which made me think he was gay. Which adds to the whole like allure of was he or was he not? Mm-hmm. Not that it really matters, but no, it's pertinent to the topic <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> Um, so he acted in school plays and he mimicked Marlon mimicked classmates and pretended to be animals at a young age. It's kind of like a, he was bullied by his own dad on it felt unappreciated by his alcoholic parents. And he had an outlet on the playground and at school being this kind of like ham that would mimic people. And it was his first kind of foray into acting. Okay. He was expelled from high school for riding his motorcycle through the school halls. He was a rebel his entire life. Um, And a lot of people trace that back to the fact that he never felt loved at home. He never felt kind of like recognized at home. So his entire life he challenged authority Mm -hmm. and felt misunderstood. He even gave interviews feeling like saying no one's ever understood me my entire life. So after he got expelled from high school, he moved to New York to study acting and he said, for the first time ever, I was accepted, and I was told that I was actually good at something um, as an actor. That's got to be, a, I mean, it, given his his uh, upbringing, like, that's got to be a powerful statement. I didn't appreciate that because, I mean, my parents were very good to me and my sister. I mean, despite some of our challenges, they were always supportive of me and my sister, like, you can be whatever you want. Like you could be, you know, yeah. I remember my dad telling me at a young age, you can be the president of the United States if you want. So when you have someone like that is like when you grow up with that, then you're like, Oh yeah, I can do whatever. But if you're never told that, like I can't, and then somebody says that like I feel a like you have something to coach prove. Is like, Oh my God, you're an awesome actor. It's like, right. wow. And yeah. so, and because, I mean, I, because of that, I guess I never really cared about because I can't cite a teacher because maybe they didn't see the potential of me uh, who were like, you're going to be, well, no, I had teachers who were supportive, but it was just, I was just, I could be an asshole sometimes. So it's like, uh, no. they, they, <laughs> they, they didn't, I didn't always get like the, yeah, you're good. So, I mean, I just imagine like, being oh, told, I feel like a, the most successful actors, comedians, musicians are very insecure people that felt like they have something to prove like and they're considered geniuses in the future but when they were kids they were kind of outcast and yeah. misunderstood and all that but to get a statement he was like, one of these people but to get from your teacher like so for someone to be like hey you know what i see value in what you're doing and you're you're really good at this like that's got to be extremely val- validating and motivating to well, then they're always chasing that higher validation, which is what fame and stardom is. It's trying to hear the applause. Hello, Lady Gaga oh wrote a whole song about it. 
I live for the applause. But that's so much of what stardom is, and we talk about alcoholism and drug addiction being prevalent among famous people. I think they're inherently susceptible to that in the first place because they are naturally insecure based on whatever it is. Yeah, and, and I would say I kind of agree with that because I feel if you are 100% secure in yourself, because if you're like super famous, it uh, consumes your whole life, right? I mean, you are pretty much like a piece of meat to the record companies or the movie companies or whatever. And if you're like 100% secure in yourself, you probably are not going to take the money and fame over giving up your whole life. And I kind of agree. I think a lot of people are like insecure in some way. And it's like, but I'm famous, but I'm, you know, rich or whatever. And so that's makes up for it. Right. Oh, for sure. And if you're not insecure going into fame, you're going to be, it's very hard to keep a straight head on your shoulders. Yeah. Because you're, Income depends on how popular you are based on your perception of people perceive you. You're going to make six million in this picture because people liked you in your last one. You know, like it's all based on. It can yeah, and I'm sure insecure. that like a lot of these. I, I think it feeds insecurity. I think some of it is, but I don't think all of the actors are like that. I mean, there are a lot of low key actors that are. That's what I'm saying. It can turn you insecure. If it doesn't, it drives a lot of people that are insecure into that field, but if you're not, I feel like it can make you that kind of like, because you're always being judged by the last thing you did. And it depends on what you're, I mean, but that's anyone at work, I would think. Like, was my boss going to give you a good rating? And so, except in this instance, your boss is like, how many people are going to come watch your movie or watch your TV show? Uh, Because I I, I think there are some folks, I didn't, I mean, celebrities get shit on all the time for being, you know, uh, being famous and having lots of money, but I mean, you realize like when they, I mean, Shit's Creek's about to end. I've watched a lot of, uh, uh, so that's a show on Pop TV, famous, recently famous, um, but it's ending its run, and I see uh, some of the actors and actresses, uh, particularly like Catherine O'Hara, who's like, uh, oh, yeah, love her, love her, love her. I'm about to be out of a job. Like, I'm going to be unemployed at, mm-hmm. a, at you know, at her age and her 60s. Yeah. And she's well, like, them, it's it, like the gig economy. The yeah. Gig economy. I mean, they're like, it's not easy to find a job. She was yeah. like ribbing, you know, uh, Daniel Levy, uh, Dan Levy a bit. She's like, yeah, yeah. Well, my agent keeps asking, why did you decide to, uh, you know, end the show when we were doing so well? Because now they got to go find another job. So, I mean, I think in some instances it is. Yeah. They're, I mean, they also could retire. They could, but it's like, well, on like, you yeah. know, you like a certain lifestyle. But I think if you get famous, you're also very aware of your <laughs> legacy. Not all of them. Obviously, I'm not talking about all of them. But you're aware of your legacy and how you want it to end and ending on a high note. And then can I expand upon it from here? And can I be even more famous? And, I, you know, I just think yeah. that's a lot of... And I'm not, look, I'm not talking negatively about it. I think if I stumbled into fame it would mess with my sanity. Like, especially with social media. I would have to have a blanket, you no can, social you can media. Be well, social media. I mean, cause, like, so because I see, people tear you down. Yes, and I actually, um, so Bette Midler, she was here uh, several years ago, and she it was like a kind of a fireside chat, and she said, I can never, she never reads anything. Never reads any reviews, anything. She's like, yeah. because it just, there's always going to people be people for you, and always. Go, and I, I honestly feel like poor Britney Spears. Oh, that's that's for that another would be episode. Me. That would be I, because I mean, closest, I feel like she was one. like this small town girl 
Her parents knew nothing but small town America. And she was like thrown into this whirlwind and they looked at her like a piece of meat and she just couldn't like handle it. And rightfully so. Thomas is looking like I feel bad for Brittany. I feel like she went. He's got this weird thing for Brittany out for Brittany. And it's like I just feel like she was under so much pressure. She just fucking lost it. Okay, let's get back to Marlon. I was going to say, uh, Brando, what, is he a fame monster or he uh, like, what is no, it? No, he's a very insecure man yeah. and very eccentric and misunderstood. But his acting technique, once he started acting, because he got big around, or his career took off at 20. Are you talking about his celebrity or his size? Well, he died very big, the biggest. He, <laughs> he died at the pinnacle. But his acting <laughs> technique was, like, he refused to memorize lines because he said he wanted to discover the lines while he was on film being filmed so he had to have cue cards taped around the set so the cinematography had to be like dictated around avoiding where he and that was his whole career yes because he wanted to read the lines for the first time while he's on film because it would be it seemed more authentic to him to me it sounds kind of like you were lazy and you were drinking the night before and you uh didn't memorize your lines Read the lines, memorize, get into character, but whatever. Well, Dustin Hoffman later said that one thing he would do when that the director would yell action, he would start having a conversation with the actor. Would you do this weekend? You know, and start having a conversation with him, and then he would go into the lines because he wanted it to seem very like real conversational. So directors hated that, and he had his own stubborn vision of look this movie is about the actors and this is how I'm going to act. And this is what works for me. So he constantly had mm-hmm. these head butting battles with actors, co co-stars and directors, even when he was just a 20 year old actor on Broadway. He I forget that they used to do uh film like uh, movies on actual film. So it, like when he would do something like that, that costs money. I mean, yeah, to, you have to to rewind to, the yeah. film. Oh yeah. yeah. Films, <laughs> all his films cost so much more money because he just, for one, wasted a lot of time. He didn't do any kind of, he was very concerned about how he, like he put a lot of effort into how he was acting, but that effort started the, the day you're supposed to film. Like whereas Meryl Streep is like spends month learning right, an entire yeah. new language. <laughs> You know, and immersing herself wherever it was yeah. that she was trying to, the actress she was trying to portray, he kind of, a lot of the films, not all of them, he would just show up and be like, now I'm learning to be the character, and directors hated him for it. Yeah, that's so much waste to me. Think about, like, the time. It's like, well, I need more time to do this. Because I think Marilyn Monroe, film. like, uh, different but similar, she was just so insecure I mean, she just had stage fright mm. and couldn't get out there. Yeah. And her movies were like, went on and on forever. So it's like, just get the fuck out there and act. And she was like, yeah, you know. Yeah, she was a magnetic star, but it had to be in the very right circumstance. And you had to coddle her and you had to like spend days when the scene should have taken mm-hmm. two hours or whatever. Yeah. He wasn't like insecure in that. He was more arrogant. That arrogance might have come from insecurity, but it wasn't like yeah. a yep. shrivel up insecurity like Marilyn Monroe but he got kicked out of a play when he went to the new school uh, which was an acting school he got kicked out of a play and he quit school and then he started auditioning for plays on Broadway and he got a part a big part in his first Broadway play called I Remember Mama 
And after that, it was kind of like no looking back. Like he became this Broadway star, this new kid on Broadway, 20 years old, school dropout. Mm -hmm. And people instantly kind of recognized his talent. But even then, he was hard to work with. Um, he got cast in a play with Tallulah Bankhead. Have you ever heard of Tallulah Bankhead? Mm-hmm. Okay, you have? Mm-hmm. Iconic, like, rumor to be lesbian. I don't even know if it's a rumor at this point. But classic star, very eccentric. She was the top of her game. Older lady at the time when he got cast to play opposite her. And he was this arrogant 20-year-old kid that he said... She, he didn't want to be in the play necessarily. He didn't respect the play. So he would do whatever he could to ruin this play for me. He would pick his nose during the play. He would scratch his crotch. And for her sake of the play, she found a new play for him to be in. She's like, oh, he'll be really good for and would talk him up to different directors. And the director of a new play called A Streetcar Named Desire. Oh, uh, one of the most famous plays of all time. She recommended him that part just to get him out of her play. And he was picked up to pay Stanley Kowalski um, in this play. And he did it amazingly. And it really put him on the map. And it was his break. So it's almost like him acting like a fool. Yeah. Created his own. Yeah. <laughs> which, gave is, him. which is kind of what he wanted. Like, I'm better than this. Get me out of here. And that happened. Oh, totally. It's one of those people that's confident from an insecure place. Donald Trump. Donald Trump, yes. Is what someone whispered, whispered in the audience. Woof. <laughs> Just kidding. I knew, I knew you were a Republican. <laughs> he likes some orange. Republican. So he's, at this time, becoming a very well-known um, Broadway actor. And in 1927, he is drafted. This is during World War II, the tail end of World War II. And in on what year? 1947. Does that math add up? No. No. Because it well, ended war in 45. Oh, shoot. The 1945. I'm sorry. I wrote that. I can't read my hand. I can't read his hand. I was like, wait a minute. Huh? Um, First, I thought you said 27. And I'm like, there was no word. Then I thought May 37. I'm like, we weren't in that in 47. Okay. It's scribble scratch at this right. point. So on the form, he listed his race as human. <laughs> and his color as seasonal oyster white to beige. Oh, he was a gay. Right. To be that sassy. It was beautifully descriptive, yes. <laughs> um, he was kind of saying, what are you trying to he didn't agree with the war and he didn't agree with racism, which is the whole point of putting human as a race. Um, he was referred to an army psychiatrist and he was deemed psychologically unfit by the army psychiatrist to I serve. Really? Yes. <laughs> That's interesting. So he goes, he was a psychoneurotic, they called it. He basically bluffed his way through. I don't think he was insane or anything. I think he, he was playing, he he was playing a game not to have to be in the military, not to be drafted. I feel like there's... Especially in a war he a, did not agree a with. A bit more sophisticated like methods in the military to assess for... He knew, so his, he knew someone that was a psychiatrist that also... It's one of those Donald Trump bone spur things. That gave a recommendation that he should not serve as well. Ah, and so did he... So um, there's that underlying it. So basically, Marlon Brando's the 
pre-Donald Trump. Is that where no, I'm just kidding. Oh, no. I mean, they're, they when um, Marlon died, he was a little bit thinner than Donald Trump is now. Oh, okay. Well, they're not the same person. But Donald Trump was never seasonal oyster white to beige as uh, <laughs> no. what, the but, color listed as but, Marlon Brando. But why did Brando not uh, – why did he not – was he – why was he against the war? He was more so just a rebel that did whatever he wanted to do. He had – they tried to draft him before, and he had a knee injury, and they, they wouldn't let him in. And then he had knee surgery, and his name came up again. And his knee was okay, but because of his interview for the dra- before the draft board, they were like, mm. and he claimed to be, he's the one that said I'm a psychoneurotic. So they referred him to an army psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist was like, uh, this guy can be a little. Mm. <laughs> um, a and he also term. knew someone that, a psychiatrist that validated for so him. That yes, it sounds shady happened many, many times, such as with Donald Trump and George W. Bush and so on and so forth. Um, in 1951, he made his big movie debut with A Streetcar Named Desire, so the oh, the yeah. play that he originated, he played Stanley again. Um, and that's when he became a sex symbol, and like the sex symbol and that was of when in the, the 50s? 50s. This okay. is 1951. The sex symbol of the 1950s and early 60s, it went through that long. And he was considered the, holi- the hottest actor in Hollywood. In 1955, and he had like a string of hits for years mm-hmm. and years. He was the, I don't know who you would consider the main Hollywood star now, but it's like every role he did. It Do you was think he was like the Rock Hudson of his day? Even bigger. Yeah. I mean, Marlon Brando is one of the big, biggest stars ever. See, this tells my age, but I would compare him to Brad Pitt. I mean, he was kind of tight. Because one thing I do feel like, you know, some actors are like very heartthrob, but there's not a lot of like substance there. But I feel he was a good actor. You know, like there was a lot of And also no one had ever seen, he did, he did method acting, which was brand new back then to where like you inhabit your role. Before him and before this method acting really became a thing. Actors, you see it if you watch old movies. They just took how you act on the play, on the Broadway theater or in theater in general. Mm-hmm. You take that acting style and put it into movies. Two completely different. I feel though, like I don't know a, a modern day actor from our generation, or even especially now, like the young anyone who's under forty. Like I, I couldn't point to a Brando esque type person. Only maybe it's the legend of Brando, but people were always like his Bradley acting. Cooper, not the same scale, but Bradley Cooper's very respected, Probably. very good actor. I mean, think about a, a, a sexy man. So Brando, yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. and, and Brad Pitt and George Clooney both have <laughs> have that. But I don't feel like twenty years from now, people are gonna be like, oh, but that movie with George Clooney. Maybe they would do it just because, and maybe that they did it to Brando for the same reason. Like it's just part of the 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 the. Being I think a it's different fan. with Brando because Brando was so different. There was a vulnerability. This is why he was the gays also liked him at a time. It was he was always a tough guy that had some vulnerability to him and to his acting. Yeah, but I, I mean, so if maybe we give it to uh, Bradley Cooper and uh, uh, George Clooney, but I don't know anyone like anyone who's under forty who would have that same sort of. 
chutzpah? Is that the right word? Like, no, but it was also a different time when yeah, there was I think the back golden too, age of Hollywood. And I think back then, like, you relied a lot more on actors than like special effects and stuff for movies. And so I think they, like a lot of actors back then, I don't know. I think they were kind of, were kind of a cut above. And it was also in black and white, so you had to mm-hmm. emote more because it was like literally in black and white and you had to break through that kind of monotonous drab yeah. scenery. In 1955, he was in the wild one, which was, he played a biker gang leader and he rode motorcycles and he wore jeans and the white t-shirt with the sleeves rolled up and, and leather and in a leather hat and all that kind of stuff. And the whole look of him created this that lasted for years. This certain look, in his wardrobe that James Dean copied and Elvis Presley copied. All that came from this movie, The Wild One, in 1955. They were emulating this kind of tough guy Marlon Brando image. It's kind of like Madonna in the 80s when Madonna exploded. Girls mm-hmm. were wearing the little glove, the little lace yeah. glove, yeah. and the little um, jean like the jacket. jacket like, yeah. yeah, they were all wearing things to look like Madonna, and it lasted Girls, a few years. you guys weren't wearing that in the 80s? I Still mean, wearing it. Everybody. Are you going to talk about yeah. guys and dolls or no? I wasn't. Do you want to? Well, I was just going to say when you said that, so he was in a movie, Guys and Dolls, and basically the two main actors were he and Frank Sinatra, and he rivaled Frank Sinatra very much. And yeah, and they did not like each other at all. Oh, they, they didn't. No respect for each but other. But in that movie, it's funny you say, because he was very much like the bad boy, Marlon Brando, but like kind of a sophisticated bat so kind of like james dean but very polished or something and so his clothes his acting and i just remember like watching that movie as a kid and i mean it he just strikes you like as just strikes you i mean it's so what i read about them they could they could not stand each other and marlon brando like took a while to get into character he wanted to do several several takes until he got the perfect take take that he thought was good Frank Sinatra was like, I'm going to give you one take. And they it's were kind of antagonists in the Perfect movie, in yeah. my mind. You know what I mean? Um, Frank Sinatra called him overrated and kind of a sissy. Um, Marlon Brando said, what did he say about it? Frank Sinatra is the type to die and go to heaven. And then he wakes to heaven. He berates God for making him bald. Something like that. It was like a obnoxious yeah. dig against. They just never, ever liked each other. But a lot of people, were actors, famous actors, were really excited to work with Marlon Brando. And then they were worked with him. They were like, oh, this guy's a jerk. He's really difficult to work with. But they said it about Frank Sinatra, too. So mm-hmm. they probably didn't like each other because they were so similar. Arrogant, uh, cocky men. He said a lot of people would say a lot of people. A lot of people. A lot of people. Um, in 1954, he started On the Waterfront, where he got his first Oscar. But he hated his performance to where he couldn't even watch it. He was like, I felt like I did a horrible job. Yet he won an Oscar for it. Mm. Did he go to any of the Oscar shows? Because, and what, you're going to get to it later. But he didn't show up to one. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. Uh, and then after On the Waterfront, he did like a string of movies he felt obligated to do that he didn't, like he kind of half-assed did. And his star was kind of on the decline. Um, it's like, is he a has-been or not? And then... 
and from 1963 actually to 1971 because he had a few kind of okay hits 1963 to 71 he did a few movies he called it his fuck you years to where he just did it for money only or he did it out of obligation for friends like yeah i'll be in your movie okay fine uh he was just kind of overacting mm-hmm. and he did that all the way to 71 um his big do y'all remember his big comeback in 1972 the godfather was it yeah the godfather is yeah. vito corleone where he won his second oscar he was starting to get big at that point huh yeah, yeah he was kind of big but that was only at the time was he big in hindsight now it was like he was going to get much much bigger it also seems like um, he was not, like, it wasn't only, like, weight big. It was kind of, like, bloated big, like he had heart problems or something. Yeah, but in that movie, he looked bigger because, remember, his lip was all puffed out, and he talked like, well, you know, trick. <laughs> he had put something, he had put galls in the bottom of his lip to Gay shut people. it out. Okay. And to kind of give him, a, like, that kind of muffled sound, much like you do in the podcast. Thank you. Um, well, I do it without the gods. But it made his face look even bigger. And he put stuff in his jowls to make his jowls bigger, to make him look older than he actually was. Well, you know, but I'm... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm a pretty much bad Italian, too. I've never seen The Godfather. Any I've of them. seen just a little so bit of it. So you've never seen Selena, and you've never, never seen, seen... I told you I didn't watch TV. Don't worry. I will do a Selena performance, Selena live performance for you after this podcast. Yes, let's do it. Okay. From the Astrodome, which, by the way, I didn't mention, she sold out that. It was the first person, first artist to sell out the Astrodome. But speaking of Thank other you. famous people. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> okay, back to Marlon Brando. Back to Marlon, anything he can do to get it back to I feel like I, I mean, what? never mind. <laughs> what? Thomas, go for it. I have, like, a lot of uh, icons that I'm, like, I'm in love with. Go for it, I'm bitch. just, like... Uh-huh. I want to make sure I when I used to shoot three pointers playing basketball with my friends. Oh my god! When I was, was like I would do it for Selena, and I'm and like, you want to make sure the I world do, knows I she's amazing as you know honor she is. Her yes. appropriately. I know where you're coming from, so I'm gonna do a performance later. Okay, ready? Oh, then I'll drag this out. I've got the outfit. <laughs> so, but Q-tip. so he find his big comeback was The Godfather, <laughs> and he. Uh, the director was like, true. yeah, he's a legend, but I don't trust him because he's had horrible relationships with directors. And he set guidelines like, okay, but you have to do a screen test. And these megastars do not do screen, right, screen exactly, tests for yeah. anybody. And he also said any delays in production and any financial burdens the movie gets Running. because you need to get in character or whatever or because you are delaying it, you have to pay. So he put out all these stipulations, and he actually did it. He... Um, butted heads with the director and said every day I thought I was going to get fired from that job. And he won his second Oscar for it. Wow. So right after that, oh, and when he won the Oscar, this is what you're talking about. He didn't even show up to the Oscars. He sent um, a Native American rights activist or indigenous American rights activist, Sachin Littlefeather, um, to accept the award, actually to reject the award, to go in and say, go up there and say, Marlon Brando does not accept this award because he does not agree with the portrayal of Native Americans in film and television. Oh. And she was addressed in her full Apache garb. That's um, awesome. Oh, no, it was a man. No, it was a woman. It was a woman? Okay. Q-tip, Q-tip. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was um, Q-tip, yeah. 
That's crazy. It's Good for him. Like, so and that was in the up. 70s. And this was his big comeback, so he was actually putting his money where his mouth was. Yeah, yeah this was Good 70. Good for him. Like, that's awesome. At though. that point, it was 73. But his next film after that, which was also very, very big, Last Tango in Paris. Do y'all know anything about that? Mm-mm. It was an X-rated film Woof. about this older man having a love affair with a 19-year-old girl. He was oh, yeah, 48 yeah. in the movie. She was 19. Uh-huh. Who was the actress? Uh, oh, um, no, it was nobody famous. Go ahead. I'm going to look her up because I think we did something on her. Go ahead. Oh, really? I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. I didn't write her name down. Not a, not what was the not movie? Podcast, but Last Tango in Paris. Oh. But <laughs> years <laughs> later, bisexual. years later, there was a controversy about the film because, come to find out, there's a rape scene in the movie where she gets raped anally and they use Ugh. a stick of butter. He uses a stick of butter as lube. I think I've heard of this. And it was not in the script. Yeah. He came up with it with the director on the spot the day of shooting and kind of told her, this is what we're going to do. Didn't tell her about the butter part. So she says, we're about to hit roll and you're going to get raped in this. And she's 19. And she's like, what? And she didn't know she could say no. She was like, she later gave an interview. She's like, I didn't know you couldn't just add stuff to the script and tell me I had to do it. Like, Cause she was so young. Yeah. Yeah, it was Maria Schneider. We did a daily post on her a while back. That's why I'm like, I know this story. Yes. So he and the director kind of devised this whole thing. They He simulates rape on her anally. And he never told her that I'm going to use this butter because they were having breakfast in the film this, as lube. And she just felt like that. She said she was traumatized, almost made her want to leave acting. Because not only do you tell me right before you're going to rape me on film. It's... Um, but you used you didn't tell me about the butter part. She was like it was just extra and she's traumatizing. 19, yeah. Yes, and you're having to act like you're getting raped for the world to see. Yeah. And he said he didn't regret it. He said he felt guilty but didn't regret doing it because he needed her reaction as a woman feeling like she was being raped, sensing like she was being raped, which is he really does seem like dark. an arrogant prick. <laughs> But he's one of those people that does anything for the acting. Yeah, I mean, she was traumatized. I mean, her acting career did not rebound. I mean, you think about it. As a 19-year-old actress, you're like, I'm going to be in a movie with freaking Marlon Brando. Brando. Like, my career is about to go through the roof. And it did not have the trajectory that she... Because she was somewhat traumatized from... Not somewhat. She was traumatized from that experience. And she didn't even realize it at the time. Like, she later interviews were like, I don't know... But the reason we talked about her, she identified as bisexual, which was a kind of a, a rare thing that people would do. Like in a New York Times uh, interview around that the time of that uh, the release of that movie. So, yeah. But the fact that he was just like, mm, well, know. here's the the pathetic the part that makes him look even worse, is that the director accidentally had a shot of him, <coughs> his junk in the movie that he could have used on film, but the director said, I felt like. I was so close to Marlon that I felt like he was a brother. I could never show, you know, that side of him. And then when Marlon wow. Brando f- found out that you, even though it was an accident, you have pictures of my junk, I feel so violated. So he made it a big thing and said he felt violated and vulnerable because but you have a picture. It wasn't even the whole thing. It was his testicles. But was it a big thing? We'll never know. Well, when he was younger, yeah. It's all relative to the size of him at the weight. time. Oh. Uh, <laughs> It shrinks. Um, Is that what happens when you get So here she was. They they surprised you're going to get raped today. And they had a little bit of his pink taint. 
I mean, for all we know, he's sat and dumb. Uh. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but anyway, so after that, that was kind of his. After that, it was downhill, downhill in his acting career. In 1978, he did. He played Superman's dad. And he had two weeks of filming. He said he only did it for the money. And his stipulation for the contract was the least amount of time and the most amount of money. So he got paid $3.7 million for two weeks of filming. And that was in the 70s? And he wasn't even freaking... Yeah, 78. Super- he wasn't oh. even freaking Superman? No, he was Superman's dad, and he was barely in it. I know. That's my but point. after that, and it's, I just saw this movie last week for the first time, Apocalypse Now. Have you ever seen it? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. Did you like it? It's on HBO right now. It's like haunting to me. But it takes place in Vietnam, and my fiance is Vietnamese, so I had that extra layer of him like watching it, thinking of his family. You mean TVA? Tiny, my tiny baby Asian, yes. Very, very good. Have you seen it, Tony? No. Very good movie. It's like the last great role that he was in. And then he acted on and off until his death. But he, later in his life... He did win like, 90s? That was 1979. No, when did he die? 90s? 2004. Oh, oh, well, okay. But from 79 to 2004, he kind of acted on and off, but became known, like much like Elizabeth Taylor, as like this overweight, eccentric... Uh, she was not overweight. <laughs> person. Especially compared to Marlon Brando. Okay. Everybody gains a couple... Pa- she had heart problems. Thank you. Uh, okay, well, then let's take her out of it. Thank became you. Take known her out of this overweight, conversation. eccentric, difficult actor... Um, became known more for being best friends with Michael Jackson, much like Elizabeth Taylor. It's kind of crazy because I, I did think of Elizabeth Taylor throughout your whole uh, discussion because she was very difficult. And a lot of her movies were overrun uh, on yeah. budget because she was like, oh, I'm always sick and everything. Yeah. But they were so good, just like Judy Garland. Like sometimes you have to go through that crap yeah. to get really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Iconic Maybe that's why movies. we don't have good actors or actresses, like iconic actors and actors. We, we have plenty of good actors. Well, Charlie Sheen is trying to be that person. Exactly. exactly. After he raped that oh, guy. He raped a guy? Oh, too soon. But that was the allegation, right? Uh, Corey Feldman said Charlie Sheen was the guy. He'd been Oh, no way. He was the guy? Yeah, he wow. said Corey Haim. Corey Haim and uh, Corey Feldman. Although I think we talked about that last episode. But yeah. So by the time he died in 2004, he was... Over 300 pounds, he had type 2 diabetes. Um, and it was kind of like, by then he'd been known for years and years as being this odd, eccentric person. Versus if you had grown up with him in the 50s and 60s, he was like this big heartthrob. Yeah. Biggest superstar of his day. So Mal- I didn't know he, he was like, like... Really, really talented. And then he also said, in 1976, he did an interview that said... Homosexuality is so much in fashion, it no longer even makes news. Like a large number of men, I too have had sexual experiences, and I'm not ashamed. I've never paid much attention to what people thought about me. If someone thinks I am lovers with Jack Nicholson, I really don't care. They can think that. It amuses me. So was he married ever? He was married to three women and had 11 kids. Oh, wow. Yeah. 11 kids? But he had told, and there were rumors that he had... Quincy Jones said it was known among people that he was lovers with Richard Pryor for years. So do you think he was... You mean um, homophobic... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No. Do you think he was um, bisexual? 
do you think he was like closeted gay man that just married these women to have these kids? I think he was one of those rare souls, and it's not easy for people to do, that's like... I like if I'm horny with this person or if I'm trying to this person, person, I'm going to sleep with that person. Okay. If I'm, I think he was predominantly for to put a but label to me on that, it straight. Do you not think that's bisexual? That they're like in love with a person and yeah, but even bisexual is so rigid. Like you can only bisexual says you're attracted to men and women, but what about being attracted to? I mean, there's pansexuality now. There, yeah. Like, there's just so many dimensions to But my sexuality. thing is, like, so if he was, like, my thing is, if he was gay, but when he was with women, he's like, he oh, I'm just. Though. Okay, no, that's what I'm saying. So, like, to me, if he's, well, like, if I am, I really like this person, I'm going to be with them. Now I like that person. I'm, I think they're he a understood, man or a woman. I think he understood that you don't have to be straight or gay. I think he. Yeah, it's one of those okay, yeah. people ahead of their times, even to this day, that understands that. Like I'm in love with a person. Attraction can or, be attraction. Like, yeah. If you want to call me gay or straight or bi or whatever, yeah, that's on you. I don't really think about what you call me, but I've been with and men, I feel, and I've been yeah. with women, and and I feel that's pretty like awesome and kind of advanced because I feel like, especially back in the day, Hollywood actors, if they were anything outside the norm like rock Hudson, you know like they the movie companies always made him go to public events with a woman so it's like people can't know you're yeah. gay and you know um only like people socially knew he was gay but no like, i think yeah. marlon brando did whatever he wanted to do and if you wanted to be i mean he was a rebel to his core he did whatever he wanted to do yeah you could be on board with it or not i mean even the act of him Right after winning an Oscar and before he got Apocalypse Now, being Superman's dad for just and asking for the shortest amount, yeah, of time in the movie. Like I barely want to be in this movie. I just want to make money. There's a certain sense of like I'm not doing this for anybody but myself. But yeah. I also think he was insecure, yeah, like needing the validation. There's a thin line between that. Yeah. So Brando, the the legend. Bi- very much. Um, I think he's very interesting. A bisexual. Yeah. He wears that bisexual coat. Or let's just say not sh- straight. Admits he's not straight. Why don't you want to put the bisexual label on him? Because I think he might be more than that. Or I think we're all, every single person on earth is potentially bisexual. What if he just fell in love with one or two men yet had mm, I think he was constantly affairs with I mean, women. I, I don't know how like much about him other than just things over the years here and this or that, but like I don't think it was once or twice. I think like on the Kinsey scale, he would definitely be middle of the road. He wouldn't be anywhere near a zero or a six. I personally just don't like the labels of pick what letter you are. Are you LGBTQIA plus like as if here's I know the, you hate the actor you have you to hate it. you have to pick know. one of these and I'm like well, can I be this on one day and then 10 years from now, can I be a different letter? And it's like... Now, it seems like he was just very open sexual. I struggle with that. I mean, just because, like, I mean, I still have an attraction to women, but I've been in two, and I think I've said this before, like, I've been in, I've been dating men at this point for a long time. I mean, however long we dated, Kendall, nine, 10 years, and then Spence and I have been dating for... Uh, um, we're hitting three, three years, years. Uh, this year. So y'all um, been hitting for three years. <laughs> so I mean, but I, I mean, 
who's to say? I mean, uh, Spence and I plan to be together for here on out. But I mean, yeah, women could still. I mean, this. You know what I'm saying? Like, if 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 something happened, if Spencer got coronavirus and I had to, you know, he was like, we had to treat him like an eighty-year-old. Well, shit, he might have it after this uh, podcast. We two were coughing. Then I would. I mean, right. women would still be in the picture, I guess. I don't know. It's weird, but. I yeah, but and don't feel obligated street, to pick a like, title either. But I'm saying that would say bisexual, but most people would be like, by these accounts, would be like, well, you're a gay man. I'm like, oh, I don't know. So I and mean, what Marlon Brando was saying is, I don't care what. Yeah, he literally yeah. said, I don't care what people think about me. Give me whatever label you want. Yeah. Yeah. and I think we're too complicated to put those types of label. To me, this this podcast is, which is why I call it more of a queer podcast, because I look at queers and straight and everything else okay you identify with straight you say you're straight you've only been attracted to the opposite sex then let's well, give a little rights for the, all the people that don't categorize themselves as that well because even the kinsey scale um you know alfred kinsey when he created the zero to six the only reason he really created the seven buckets was i mean you can't have like like he, he felt like most people were somewhere on a spectrum and but he's like I have to kind of quantify somehow, like I can't really give results, you know, but he felt like everybody's like on this general spectrum. It's not like you're a zero or a four, you know, you're somewhere in the middle of any of this. But even the concept of spectrums is too linear. Like it's like there are different dots on a line. Like you have to pass this. You're you're saying you could be a four one day and a two another day. And that's what you're, you could be all over the map and it's perfectly fine. And I think we need to get away from where's, Kinsey would say you're a four all the time. You're saying you'd be a four. Well, I think Kinsey didn't believe you're a four all the time. He just thought, okay, for scientific purposes to write a report, you know, I've got it. Like, get into social sciences. And also, do we need to put four and twos and all that on it? I think we kind of hold ourselves back. We hold ourselves back by. You cling know, on to the title. Kendall doesn't believe oh, in social sciences. We're not getting into this conversation. We're already at the end of the podcast. We can't afford Kendall this conversation. Kendall got rid of that two-star <laughs> review, and he's like, bitch, I'm woke again. <laughs> social sciences, what? All right. That was good. Marlon Brando, okay. Part of the community. Watch guys. How about have that? You ever, I won't have put you ever seen Guys and Dolls? Yeah, part of the queer community. I won't put a label on him. He's part of the community. Have you ever seen that movie, Guys and Dolls? No, I mean I've heard of it. You life. should watch it. It's a great. It's because it's a play. It's a play and everything. It's. Well, a, why do we have to choose for a guy or a doll? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great Just movie, kidding. and he is he's hottie dotty in it. He's really good looking. All right, yeah. we'll check that out. But Thank it's you. a good movie. Thank you. Candle. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to our podcast and kicking with us this week. A special thank you to the guy who keeps our sound and Chuck. Spencer, woohoo! Don't forget to follow Spencer and Chris and our Spooky Podcast. They are giving you extra episodes this uh, this time of year. Uh, they're giving you special reviews of uh, season twelve of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, so uh, you can watch their Rupee Podcast, our Rupee Podcast. Of course, their staple podcast is our Spooky Podcast, where they're giving you it's all the stable. spooks. Uh, and check them out. So uh, they release an episode every Sunday, and they drop their um, their Rupee podcast as soon as they release it. So take a listen and laugh at those those queens and and catch some of their giggles. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to us so you can hear future episodes. You can visit our website at letstalkaboutgaystuff.com. We are wrapping up our uh, Women's History Month, so make sure you follow, uh, read up on our 31 
LGBTQ women pioneers, uh, some some good folks that we're uh, honoring. Kate McKinnon, uh, on a side note, seems to be the most popular one that like she's gotten all like we did a. Oh, because she's a cutie. Yeah, so we've got the most likes on uh, on Kate McKinnon. So read about her and other ones. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Let's Talk About Gay Stuff and on Twitter at Talk Gay Stuff. Uh, you can leave us a review and tell us what you think. Uh, if, you're sh- if you don't want to do it in public and you want to do it in private and just whisper it to us, you can send us an email at Let's Talk About Gay Stuff. From six feet away during this yeah. pandemic. In a safe <laughs> space. This is the only thing you can do during just quarantine just. time. Uh, also, you can give a listen, like you said, to our spooky podcast. They're a part of all, we're all part of the Listen Works Network. Uh, and, uh, we encourage you during this time of uncertainty to uh, stay safe. Uh, you know, keep hang in there. We're all going to get through this uh, and keep six feet away from everybody. Stay home. All right. So with that, we're here. We're queer. Get used to it. <laughs>